Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Yes, this is usually Mac and Mike, and it will be that today, but it will not be with uh, your friendly, usual Saturday morning guy, Glenn Mac. now. Oh, he'll be in tomorrow. He'll be in with me tomorrow. But I'm in today for him. If we've totally confused you, I apologize. We're 30 seconds into the show, and I've already accomplished that. <laughs> uh, yours truly, Jody McDonald, hanging in for Glenn Mack now today with my buddy, Mike Sealski. Mr. Sealski, been a minute. Uh, we talked off the air, but we haven't talked on the air. How's your summer going? Uh, it's going very, very well, Jody. Good to hear from you. I am uh, coming off of a week of vacation from writing at the Inquirer, eager to dive back into Eagles Colts joint practice on Tuesday and more preseason football and a playoff race and Major League Baseball with the Phillies and James Harden and Daryl Morey and the lying liars who lie. Uh, it's a fun time around here, pal. Yeah, but the problem is you thought something would have changed during your week off. This is you true. Come back to something new and. Yeah, we're kind of where we were a week ago and almost two weeks ago. Eh, the Phillies moved the needle a little bit, but the Eagles haven't. And the Harden thing, maybe new information today. You and I discussed that at some point. But it, it basically is where it was at the end of the season after Harden opted into his contract. He's here. He's not happy. Accusations are flying, but it hasn't changed. He's still a member of the Sixers. So we're, we, we look for change. We want something different or new to talk about. And we're about where we were. Let us start with the Phillies. Um, okay. Yeah, they had a very good win in the last game in Toronto after getting shut down in the first game. Short two-game set. Not good. Come back. Bats alive. All right. Let's move it on to Washington. The Nationals are struggling. Here's what bothered me about last night's game, Mike. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll be interested to see if you're the same as me. I got nobody to blame. And that's not good. When the Phillies lose the game, and it was a little disheartening, and it's coming off a good win and a day off, you're looking for a big effort. Uh, I, I can't come up with a finger to point at any one individual, and here's what I mean by that. Okay. You want to blame the offense? They put up a seventh spot. Yeah. They they had a couple opportunities to run us on in the seventh inning, couldn't get the big hit. I get it. But they scored seven runs. Seven runs should be enough, so you can't blame the offense. Uh, always people want to look to the bullpen. Can we blame the bullpen? Let's blame the bullpen. Well, between Hoffman, Soto, and Covey, they got four and two-thirds innings giving up just one run. Yep. So you can't really blame the bullpen either. You want to blame the manager. Oh, he's always near the top of the list of guys to blame. Um, 
I guess his mistake was staying too long with Michael Lorenzen, who had captured the hearts, the minds, the interest, and everything else in the city just one week ago. So you can get mad at him for not being quick enough to yank uh, Michael Lorenzen out of the game. I'm not going to do that. You going to do that? No. Uh, I mean, I think I could. I would put more blame on Lorenzen himself for not pitching well. Uh, than I would Rob Thompson. But right, so again, let me, that let me, feel, let me that get feels this weird. straight. That you're, feels you're, weird. Exactly. You're going to blame a guy who just pitched a no-hitter in his second start in a Phillies uniform. You're going to come down harshly on him. Well, I don't know if I'm going to come down harshly on him. I am going to say it was his poor performance that more than anything else contributed to the loss. Right. But does he not get a pass? Sure, sure. I'm all about handing out special dispensations. Yes, so that's my annoyance of last night's game. You left out nobody to blame. You left out one name. Okay, who who I missed? One name who, again, you can't assign all the blame of the loss to this person, but it was a contributing factor. And depending on how you want to look at baseball and momentum, uh, you're going to assign more blame to him or less blame to him, depending on your perspective. How about Johan Rojas? Catch a fly ball. Kill a rally before it begins. Uh, That was a key play in that game. Uh, You know, we talk about it all the time, usually within the context of Aaron Nola, right, that the Phillies get a lead and then you need to have a shutdown inning or two immediately after that happens. And the Phillies take that 6-1 to lead and they have that demoralizing bottom of the fourth inning. And maybe if Rojas catches that fly ball in center field, the complexion of the bottom of the fourth looks a lot different. Understood. Good point by you. But again, let me go back to big picture. In the small picture, you're absolutely right. That's a catchable ball, and he didn't catch it. So you can certainly be annoyed by that, much like Michael Lorenzen. If you narrow focus and just look down the tunnel and go, man, you handed a 6-1 lead and you couldn't protect it. Yeah, you're going to come down on Michael Lorenzen. But then you widen the scope back out and go, he just threw a no-hitter in his second game of the Phillies. You widen the scope back out and you look at, Johan Rojas is the best fielding center fielder the Phillies have had since who? Shane Victorina? At least. Yeah. If not Gary Maddox. I'm telling you, this kid has looked better than Shane. And I love Shane in center field. Uh, Just flat out great out there. But truth be told, you're asking me, and I know small sample size, if you're comparing Shane Victorino's entire Phillies career to Johan Rojas's 35 games as a Phillies. I should know the exact number off the top of my head. I don't. But I would say he even looks better than that. There, there are two ways to look at it. In the moment or take a step back and look at the big picture. That's why I'm annoyed from last night because even the guys on the short term, you want to point the finger at them, you can't because on the big long-term picture, they've done their job and done it really well. Yeah. The two guys who struggled most last night were the guys who were responsible for the cuddliest stories of the last like two weeks of Phillies mm-hmm. baseball. So it's hard to come away from that game being angry. But, look, I'm sure people – Found a way, Jody, as we do in Philadelphia, uh, to point the finger at somebody, whether you're talking about Trey Turner striking out late in the game with runners on base, yep. uh, whether you're talking about the inability to build a rally in the ninth inning after Schwarber's second home run. Uh, people, I'm sure, are frustrated. And look, the Phillies have lost four or five. All the good vibes off of that homestand last week. They only went six and four, which is fine, but it wasn't a game changer in terms of the standings. And now you've got a situation where you've got two more games against Washington, who is playing very, very well over the last month since the all-star break. 
And you've got the San Francisco Giants coming in for a three-game series, and the Giants are right in the thick of the playoff race. They're not playing well right now either, but somebody's going to get well in that series. And, you know, if you're the Phillies, you gotta you got to pick it up a little bit. Yeah, I like that because I want to control my own destiny. And I know this is part of it. Shoot, we've been doing it for weeks already, if not a month. Scoreboard watching, you can't control scoreboard watching. When you're playing the team that is just behind you, you take care of your own business. You don't care what the scoreboard says. So I'm very much looking forward to this series against the Giants coming up. And, yes, we're going to give you the chance to either be uh, optimistic or pessimistic? On our telephone lines, we get them open, ASAP, 215-592-9494. Here's my other question on the Phillies. And uh, Ben Davis is going to join us at noon today. Ben's on the road with the team doing the games with T-Mac on the TV side. Uh, he said he'd jump on at noon today before the Phillies play at 2 o'clock right here on 94 WIP against Washington again. Before they get in, uh, are they getting in buses or copters? Do you know how they're getting from Washington, D.C. to the home of the Little League World Series thereafter? I do not know. Uh, that's a great, great question. It would be a long, long bus ride. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe they are. Uh, maybe the Batmobile is coming in for all it I know. It could be, and Dropping yeah. them off in Williamsport. Um, uh, I do not know. Some kind of party bus. We'll, we'll hopefully get details from Ben Davis when he jumps out when it's coming up a little under uh, two hours from now. Here's the other Philly issue for me, and uh, agree or disagree, Mike. Okay. The whole six-man rotation thing. Mm. It was not long ago that the Phillies had a four-man rotation masquerading as a five-man rotation because they didn't really have a fifth starter. And there were a couple bullpen games mixed in, and Christopher Sanchez was starting but only going three innings. And then he started to stretch out and put back-to-back games together and stacking good efforts. And all of a sudden, all right, he's our fifth. And then they go out and get Michael Lorenzen, which gives them a sixth. And they've been trying to keep all in the rotation, which was fine when they were playing day after day after day after day. They had a stretch where they played mm-hmm. every single day. The only day off they had was a rainout, and they filled it right in with a doubleheader thereafter. Uh, but now they've had a bunch of days off, including Monday, which is going to be a day off. And you've got guys, Michael Lorenzen last night was pitching on eight days rest which does throw a pitcher off. Some pitchers are more creature of habit than others. And Rob Thompson has tried to hedge and ride the fence as best he can. Someone's got to come out of that rotation. Is is there a chance in your mind that today is Christopher Sanchez's last start of the season? I think that's possible. I think you've got to see how this all goes day to day, right? If Lorenzen had pitched very well yesterday – we might not be having this discussion. Now, he said after the game, based on uh, what Scott Lauber, my colleague at the Inquirer, and others wrote uh, for this, you know, their, their stories this morning, mm-hmm. he didn't feel sore as much as he just kind of felt out of sorts, uh, that he, he just wasn't comfortable on the mound. He wasn't tired. He just wasn't comfortable. And that gets to what you're talking about, right? Like, Lorenzen has been a starter most of the season, but throughout his career has pitched pretty regularly in relief. Now he's going to this, as you said, six-man rotation where he might pitch once every six days, seven days, eight days in this situation. So how long they go with this, I think, is going to depend on how the pitchers perform. I don't think you can just say off the top, well, they shouldn't do a six-man rotation or they should. We've got to see how these guys adjust. Maybe Aaron Nola needs an extra day. 
because, uh, you know, of his struggles to adjust to the pitch clock and everything else this season. Uh, let's see. But as you kind of hinted, the early returns aren't great based on last night. Like I said, uh, Ben Davis is going to join us at noon today. These are just a couple things we're going to run by him. We'll let you chime in on him right away at 215-592-9494. And in keeping of the theme that yeah, nothing too much has changed, I give you the Philadelphia Eagles as well. I know uh, you made it down to a couple of practices. I did. I, I went to one. I've watched both of the preseason games, gotten reports on the joint practices that they've had. Um, not good news this morning in that Zach McPherson, as feared, ruptured his Achilles, is done for the entire season. But some other good news on some of the injuries. There were a lot of Eagles on the field the other night. Um, just concussions for guys who needed to be taken off on the John Deere. That's never a good sign. When the John no. Deere goes rolling out onto the field, that's not good. But that doesn't look like uh, any significant injuries for the Eagles. But here's my read, Mike. From the time camp opened up put the uh, OTAs aside, Uh, but from the day camp opened up as we sit here today, I don't feel any better about the Philadelphia Eagles and where they were in comparison to last year, but I don't feel any worse either for the one or two things I can point to. Oh, they're better. There's one or two things I can point to. Damn, that's a question mark. I have about the same feeling for the Eagles, and usually when you're a month into camp and preseason uh, joint practices and two preseason games, the needle has moved one way or the other. It hasn't moved at all for me. Has it moved for you? Yes, it has. Okay. Uh, It's moved a little bit to the side that they're going to be a little worse off this season than they were last season. Now, let me preface this, Jody, by saying – I've come into the 23 season saying to anyone who will listen to me, the Eagles could be just as good this coming season as they were last season, and people are likely to be frustrated because the Eagles are unlikely to go 14-3 and again. They are unlikely to win every game except one that Jalen Hurts starts. The schedule is more difficult. Uh, it's hard to be as good again as they were good last season, so just temper expectations. But so far in camp and the preseason, what have we seen? We've seen two season-ending injuries, both Achilles tears, to two important special teams players, Sean Bradley and Zach McPherson, as you said. Special teams was was and is already a relative weakness on this team. They have a punting issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't know who's going to be doing that. They had trouble last season covering kicks, came back to bite them in the Super Bowl. So now you have an area of the team that was already a little bit suspect, and it's even more suspect because of these two injuries. And I think uh, the other aspect that people have been talking about on this station all week, and I think rightfully so, is the issue of the backup quarterback. Now, it doesn't sound like a big deal, and it won't be a big deal if Jalen Hurts stays healthy and plays every game. But Jalen Hurts hasn't played every game the last two years. He missed two games last season. He missed a game in 2021. And Marcus Mariota has not looked good. He just hasn't been good. And while I don't want to engage in the conversation and debate about uh, should Tanner McKee be the number two, should it be Mariota, the bottom line is they have a backup quarterback who is not as good, it looks to me, like the backup as the backup quarterback they had the last two years in Gardner Minshew. And this always rears its head with the Eagles. Any any franchise in the NFL uh they're, they're the one that knows the importance of a backup quarterback better than any. And if Ma- unless Mariota straightens himself out, that's going to be a worry of mine. 
That's very fair. And, yes, I've been listening to the station the last couple of days, and you're right. That seems to be the number one topic of conversation. Usually that's a good thing. If the biggest topic of conversation is not sure our backup quarterback is good enough, that means everything else is in pretty good stead and pretty good order, which I will take. And my thought about Marcus Mariota, and, you know, I do the Birds 365 Mm -hmm. show, so I talk Eagles every day, um, both uh, Thursday and Friday. He's been bad. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, and there are concerns. If Jalen Hurts goes down week two when he's going to be out for a month, the Eagles are in trouble. Right now it's going to be Marcus Mariota. But the way that the coach answered the question after the game the other night, he didn't slam the door shut. He closed it. Mm-hmm. He closed it forcefully enough to, to, to take the media off the scent of, is there a backup quarterback controversy? But he didn't, and, and Nick can do this from time to time. He can get a little snippy and just, like, uh, talk you down off your question. Oh, yes. He didn't do that. So that tells me that they, they think that Tanner McKee has done enough in his uh, two preseason games to at least be in the conversation. They're not about to pull a plug on Mariota. If uh, the season of uh, Jalen goes down on the fourth play, Mariota's coming in. I can guarantee you that. Mm-hmm. But here's what it does tell me, because I've heard both the name of Nick Foles and uh, Carson Wentz floated yeah, yeah, yeah. in the last couple of days. They know the system. They with Nick Foles. Never buy a drink in this town. No, Nick is retired, and Carson can't buy a job. So I don't think either of those two things are a possibility. I think they have faith that if Mariota just continues to nosedive, I think Tanner McKee's going to step in. They they rushed Jalen Hurts in as a rookie at the end of the season, did they not? I think they've been impressed enough with Tanner McKee that at least he's in the conversation, he's in the thought process to potentially play this year. Agree or disagree? I, I think it's possible. I also think that uh, a line from Tom Moore, the longtime Indianapolis Colts, offensive coordinator who was their coordinator and quarterbacks coach when Peyton Manning was there. Someone once watched a Colts practice and noticed that Peyton took every single snap at practice. And someone asked Tom Moore, Tom, why doesn't the backup quarterback take any snaps during practice? What happens if Peyton gets hurt? And I'm going to clean up the language, but Tom Moore's response to the, an answer to the question was, son, if Peyton gets hurt, we're screwed, and we don't coach screwed. And I think that same principle applies to the Eagles this year. If Jalen Hurts suffers a serious injury, the Eagles are screwed, (laughs) for lack of a better way of putting it. And so, yeah, you can maybe get by with Marcus Mariota for a game or two if you're willing to just RPO a team to death for, you know, those two weeks and – you know, really restrict Mariota. The, the issue I have with Mariota is, you know, he's like a jump. He's like a bad shooter in basketball. You should be able to put a jump shooter in a gym by himself, and he just knocks shots down. And similarly for an NFL quarterback, you should be able to just complete passes from the pocket by rote. And Mariota can't do it. He's he's sailing everything. Uh, maybe the Eagles can get through that for a week or two. If Jalen Hurts suffers a serious injury, forget it. The season is toast. Right. Uh, Despite Tom Moore's cute and on-point quote, guess what? That is your job, Tom. You might not like it, but that's your job, Tom. That's your job, Nick Sirianni. That's your job, Eagles coaching staff. You have to be prepared for screwed. You might not like it. 
You might even cover yourself ahead of time so you don't take too much grief for it. It's the injury gods coming down on you. But that's part of the gig is to be prepared in case of screwed. So that's why we can have this conversation here on 94 WIP. He's Mike Sielski. I'm Jody McDonald. Glenn's off today. He will be back tomorrow. GMAC and I will be doing the show mañana. It's me and Mike Sielski today. Our number one, plenty of time for your calls on either the birds and or the fills. Yeah, we'll get the sixes in a little bit later. I mentioned Ben Davis is going to join us at noon. Prior to that, Marcus Hayes. Inquirer uh, Bud of Mike Stielski and uh, host here on WIP is going to jump in and we'll talk uh, birds with Marcus Hayes at uh, 11 o'clock. But we've got you on the phones coming up right here, right now. 215-592-9494. Get on with Mac and Mike. Jody Mac hanging with you with Mike Stielski. I'm in for Glenn Mackner this morning, Saturday morning on 94 WIP. Eagles tough loss last night. Blew a five-run lead. I did hear this on the broadcast last night, Mike. Didn't mm. realize this. Fourth time this year the yes. Phillies have blown a five-run lead? Yeah, not good. Wow. Not good. That, that That's usually indicative of a bad bullpen. And overall, the Phillies' bullpen has been good. They're dealing with a couple injuries, and they're going to get Alvarado back at some point, or so we hope. And Sir Anthony's missed time. It hasn't gone perfectly, but a bunch of guys have stepped up and been better than expected that that's a bad stat five run lead blown four times in the course of a season yeah and it wasn't the bullpen last night it was the starter and i would be curious jody i didn't crunch the numbers on those instances but how often was it the bullpen and how often was call from mom answer it call silenced instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game that's why they make ordering from your couch easy Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Does it... Michael Lorenzen or Aaron Nola or Ranger Suarez or one of the starters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, last night it was the guy who just threw the winner in his last outing. So how are you going to get that mad at him? You can't, or at least I can't. In Philadelphia, uh, we will find a yeah, way, we'll Joey. All right, well, that's why we have the telephone lines. I look over, we only got one call. Maybe the Philly fans with the whole trade turner, let's cheer him until he starts to get hot Is have a new outlook on life, that it isn't just all vitriol. Well, find out. Uh, you, you can direct it one way or the other, 215-592-9494. We did add some Eagles stuff in. They're practicing today. Got a joint practice with the Colts this week, which it's so funny. Gardner Minshew coming back into town on the week that everybody wants to talk about backup quarterback. Oh, how we miss you, Gardner. <laughs> I don't know if that will be the case at the joint practice, but um, I'm I'm kind of in – a middle ground with the Eagles because 
Uh, like the linebacker position. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a question mark coming in. I'm a huge Kobe Dean fan. I still am. He made a big play the other night, stripping the ball at the goal line. Uh, I have faith that he's going to be good, even though up until that he really hadn't showed us much of anything so no, far this not. preseason. Uh, Christian Ellis uh, not, knocked down a couple passes in OTAs, and people got excited. They're out picking up linebackers off the scrap heap in preseason, which is not usually a good sign. I thought the linebackers played pretty damn well the other night. That was that. That was the most optimistic I could come away from that game with. Was the linebacker play looked like it could be okay? That Cunningham played well. Nakobe made a big play. Ellis resurfaced. Uh, the things that I questioned, we've gotten some partial answers and some things that I thought were locks. Now a couple of questions have arose. Yeah, I don't know where the Eagles are at. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Jody. I was just thinking as you were saying all that. It's funny how the things that we do focus on during a preseason or training camp don't always remain concerns throughout the season. Now, look, Marcus Mariota does not look good, and I would be concerned about him as the backup quarterback. But in thinking about that and talking about that, I do remember during training camp 2017 that a certain backup quarterback named Nick Foles was having elbow issues. And there was a question, okay, if Carson Wentz gets hurt in week one or week two, is Nick Foles going to be ready to be the Eagles' backup quarterback? Needless to say, that turned out to be not much of a concern that season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd so, say so. Um, you know, it's, it's just funny to me. We may get to September 10th uh, in Foxborough, and everybody's worried about the linebackers and Mariota and who else, and Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and the offensive line will be out there against the Patriots team that they're more talented than. And I suspect, if I were a betting man, which I'm not, that a number of those concerns will be put on the back burner for Eagles fans once kickoff uh, rolls around of that game. The thing that scares me most about game one, two words, Tom Brady. And he's not playing. Mm. He's not coming out of retirement. He's not going to drop back and fling it all over the field. He's just going to be there for his uh, uh, big celebratory career day as a New England Patriot. Maybe it lifts the spirits. Maybe it pumps him up a little bit. Because you're right, talent on the rosters, the Eagles are certainly better. Don't care that it's in New England. The Eagles are better. Could Tom Brady be a difference maker without ever taking a snap? Maybe, but we got weeks to go before we get to that. Listen, listen, this is Coach Belichick, and we're just happy to have Tom here, and hopefully he'll get everybody excited. Are Gillette you Stadium. suggesting that Coach Belichick is going to put a damper on the Tom Brady celebration in New England, Mike Zielski? I'm suggesting that the idea that Brady's presence is going to lift the Patriots to an upset victory of the Eagles uh, – is remote at best, and I certainly really? don't think Bill Belichick is going to use it as motivation in any regard. Well, uh, number one, I think the players that played with Tom, and there are less now because it's a couple of years removed, so it's a, a percentage of the roster, not the entire roster. Oh, but I think every single fan in the stands will come leather-lunged and ready to cheer and go nuts for Brady, and that spills over into their uh, attempting to lift the Patriots. Oh, I, I think he has an impact on the game. Maybe not via the coach, mm-hmm. but I do believe he has an impact uh, for the game. We're, we're, we're on to the to the callers, Jody. We're on to two, the callers. 215-592-9494. First call, next caller is Warren from Gwinnett Valley. Warren, you're up on 94 WIP. Good morning, Mike and Jody. Thanks for taking my call. Appreciate it. You got, you got it, Warren. You know, there's one thing I can say for, for you, Mike, and you, Jody, is that, that the fans have you guys to um, to get 
through all of this, you know, no matter who the backup quarterback is, what the, what the, um, you know, what the players do, what they don't do, what Nick Sirianni does and doesn't do. You guys explain it very well and help the fans rationalize whatever is going on, whether it's good news or bad news. So I just wanted to Thank throw you, that out there Appreciate to you guys. Thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, your, your synopsis of the Phillies game last night was spot on. And one of the reasons I called uh, last night with Rob Cherry and with you guys is it's the big inning that the Phillies keep seeming to trip over. And one of my thoughts with Michael Lorenzen last night was there was no mound visit to break the, um, the Washington Nationals' momentum. Mm-hmm. And to me, uh, you could see Lorenzen was struggling, be it because it was his eight days off or whatever. But to me, the mound visit by Riamuto or the pitching coach or um, Rob Thompson himself – uh, is crucial in breaking that that momentum to what is going on, and you can get a sense of where your pitcher is, get your reliever up, whatever you have to do. Maybe you have to make two visits. I don't know what you're allowed to do in baseball. No, sec- second single- in the inning, you got to pull a pitcher. You're allowed one dugout visit, and then uh, the second one, you got to pull uh, the pitcher. So if he'd gone what out if- once, it, it. but didn't the runs the pile up visit? real quickly? What about the catcher visit? How many can uh, Riamuto do? I think it's six for the entire game, Mike, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think you're right. And here's the thing to keep in mind, Warren, and I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that you're wrong, that no, no, there, no, there aren't agree, things that the Phillies, whether you're talking about Thompson, Riamuto, uh, Lorenzen himself couldn't have done to maybe kind of slow things down. There are so many restrictions now on slowing the game down, and it's become such an issue for the Phillies in particular – and even more specifically with Aaron Nola, Aaron Nola, that I wonder if they are hesitant to try to do that because they know that the umpires are going to be attuned to it, right? And they don't want a violation. They don't want uh, repercussions from it. So you're more inclined to say, well, Michael Lorenzen's going to have to try to get this, get through this himself. I'm just speculating. I don't know that for certain. No, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. It just Last night of, of all nights, you know, I'm watching Rob Thompson and, and when Covey got in a little trouble in the eighth inning, I think he made the you know the wah 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 with his hands, like go out and talk to him, uh, JT, and um, and calm him down to get through that eighth inning. And you, if you saw Rob Thompson's face on the camera, he was pretty pissed or disappointed or whatever at that point that um, he just wanted that game over with. But yeah, um, he yeah. didn't he didn't ask JT to go out. JT didn't go out. It just seemed like at that particular moment when you could see, you know, hit after hit after hit and walk after walk, that Mike Lorenzen was just in a bad way. Um, and so I'm not saying that that would have saved the game, but I'm just saying to me that that's when I see two or three well-hit balls mm-hmm. and, and the pitcher just yeah. losing control. Just And to your point, Mike, Aaron Nola, when he has his inning – you know, you know it's going to come. It's, it, it's yeah, not yeah, you do. When it, you do, or if it's when. So it, it's a matter of can the Phillies break this cycle of the big inning. Well, that's, I, that's I, my I, point to you guys. I, I right. appreciate the call, Warren. Jody, I, I'd be curious as to your thoughts about this. I wonder if I don't know if they can, and I'm certainly not the first person to bring this up. But we're in mid-August now, almost late August, and. 
it's getting to the time of year where tension in baseball makes baseball more entertaining, right? Like, they implemented these rules changes to speed the game up and have the ball put in play more often, really to get us through the first several months of the season because those games drag and drag and drag. Now we're entering the time of year where teams want to slow a game down. And to be honest, viewers like a slower game. Watch baseball in the playoffs, and it's it's great to watch because every pitch matters so much. I wonder... Do the rules work against baseball now after having worked for baseball the entire regular season? Does that make sense? It does on a a macro level. On a micro level, it might not fit every situation, but on a macro level, I think you're right. And I'll tell you what may have been the most shocking thing about last night's game for me, Mike Sielski. The ball that Rojas didn't make a play on in center field, Mm -hmm. they judged it as an error. Yeah, how about that? How can... How do they judge anything as an error anymore? That, I thought if you put the ball in play, it had to be a hit. There are no errors in baseball anymore. That call on the bone ground ball Yeah, last that was night, terrible. Oh, my God. How do you possibly call that a hit? Yeah, but this has been a thing throughout baseball all year. Anybody who follows the sport knows it. It's something that players and managers and coaches and executives are talking about. There's all this rumor and suggestion that Major League Baseball is putting pressure on official scores to call these kinds of plays hits to keep players' batting averages up. I'm not sure how I would feel about that if I were a starting pitcher or reliever in the, in the majors, but it's, uh, it's frustrating as a fan because, as you said, Jody, uh, and I think Tom McCarthy and Ben Davis said it last night on that bone play, you know, we don't know what they're going to score that. Uh, let's wait. And it then, looks like and, an error. And, and, and then know. they laughed. Right. They laughed out loud. We'll get Ben on and we'll let him laugh again. McCarthy couldn't help himself. They laughed at the official scorer. It's ridiculous. It and is. Oh, by the way, circumstantial evidence, and I know it's circumstantial. The fact that Mike Zielski, Jody McDonald, and 187 different other media guys around the country are talking about it, if not on a day-in, day-out basis, often enough, tells me that it's not getting any better. If anything, it's getting worse, then there had to be a directive. The, the official scorers around the league can't just all have come together and gone, yes, we must get more hits in the game, so let's call every questionable one a, a baloney. Yeah. There's enough circumstantial evidence here for me to say, yeah, there was a directive involved, even though they haven't been able to find a deep throat yet to go on the wreck and go, do you need a copy of the email we got from <laughs> Rob Manfred? Right. They haven't been able to unearth that yet. But there's no doubt in my mind that this is coming straight from uh, uh, 345 Park Avenue. Uh, Ridiculous. Yeah, it's a lack of common sense, and I think that's what's frustrating people. You see it in the NFL from time to time with missed officiating calls in big games and things like that, or this is a fumble, this isn't a fumble. Uh, People just want common sense, uh, and this sort of thing defies that. It's That play, the bone play last night, that's an error. It just is. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so uh, that's what's got people worked up, I think. He is Mike Sielski. I'm Jody McDonald. You got Mac and Mike on 94WIP on this Saturday morning. Common sense. We're trying to bring it. If you want to either shoot it down or share it, get on our phone lines, 215-592-9494. The Bet Park Sportsbook app, the only sportsbook app I recommend and play with. I was thinking about playing the Phillies last night. I did not. Thank God. Uh, they cater to the real Philadelphia sports fan with the best first-in-class customer service. Odds, bets, slots, games, it's all right there in the palm of your hand. 
before the football season starts. I wouldn't play a preseason game, but future wagers as to who's going to win divisions, who's going to win titles, maybe a couple of awards, who's going to lead in categories. I watched B. John Robinson last night. You can get a pretty good number on him leading the NFL in yards rushing this year. Join me right now and download the Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app. If you're a new customer, never played with Parks before, Make your first bet a $10 one. If it's a winning one, get $125 in a bonus sportsbook bet back. Must be a winning bet, and both the uh, bonus bet must be wagered once. We got some golf going on this weekend with the FedEx Cup. You name the sport, they've got the action for you. Sign up today for the Bet Park Sportsbook app. If you're looking for more action with your action, grab the Bet Park Sportsbook app. 3-1. Swing at a fly ball center field. Rojas went in. Now having to go back into his right heel. He dropped it. Oh, he clanked it. And Smith is headed to second, and he'll be in there safely. As Johan Rojas, a rare misread there. But he recovered to get there. But he just closed the glove too soon, it looked like. Scott Fransky on the call last night right here on 94 WIP. It was part of the beginning that the Nationals put together and eventually took the lead and held on to beat the Phillies 8-7. And uh, Mike Zielski and I have been talking about it uh, since we hopped on at 10 o'clock. Marcus Hayes is going to join us coming up about 10 minutes from now. We'll flop back over to the Eagles. But Phillies let one slip away. Their fifth, fourth, excuse me, fourth five-run blown lead this year. That's not good for a team that wants to go to the playoffs. We got we got to hold that number at four, Mike. It can't be end any more to that total between now and the end of the year. No, because it could, in theory, prevent them from getting into the playoffs. My stance on the Phillies, though, Jody, really hasn't changed. Which is, this is still a team that I don't think anybody else in the National League, as good as the Braves are, as great as the Braves are, as great as the Dodgers are, I don't think a team wants to see the Phillies in the playoffs just because of how hot they can get over a short period of time. The Braves and the Dodgers obviously are going to be better over 162 games. We've seen the inconsistency with the Phillies. We're seeing it now, having lost four of their last five. But all it's going to take is a couple of guys, two or three in that lineup, who are really going well, and they get a couple of really well-pitched games out of Zach Wheeler, Ranger Suarez, or even Aaron Nola or Taiwan Walker, and an opposing team is going to be in trouble. I don't mean to sound Pollyanna or overly optimistic. I just think that's the way this team is built. And uh, if they're in the playoffs, I think they're going to be a tough out. And I'd like to think of myself as an optimistic guy, certainly more than a pessimistic guy. But there are limits, even for me. And if nothing, these last four or five games did squelch a topic that popped up here on WIP and with uh, at least one WIP host that I know of who tweeted this out. Oh, the Phillies can catch the Braves. When when they got no. to six and two on that homestand after the Lorenzen no hitter, people started to get a little carried away. Uh, the Braves are not only runaway winners of the division; they're going to have the best record in baseball. I saw, uh, and we got Ben up. I'm pretty sure Ben said this on the on the broadcast last night. They right now have the same OPS, and that's a stat that I lean on heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know about you. I, I, I like to use analytics. I don't overuse them like some people do. I don't dismiss them like other people do. But OPS is one of those good combo stats. It's not new school, adjusted war, right. and it's not just home runs, RBIs, and uh, batting average. It's kind of in the middle of all of them, so I like it the best. 
their OPS is the equivalent of the 27 Yankees. Jody, I'm just looking at their starting lineup right now. They have six guys. Is it six? Seven. Seven seven out of their ten regular starters, guys who start in the lineup, uh, have an OPS of at least 800. At least. Seven of nine. Seven of nine, yes. That's, That's almost unheard of. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. They mash like nobody else mashes. Everybody in their starting lineup has double-digit home runs. Uh, you know, Matt Olson's got 43. Ozzie Albies is 28. You know, Austin Riley, 29. Osuna, Acuna, you know, Acuna. They just they come after you in waves. But here's the thing, though, Jody. And I understand the whole, oh, overly optimistic, they're going to catch the Braves. You know, the Phillies might catch the Braves. The, the way the playoff system works now can I say, who cares if they catch right. the Braves? Oh, yeah. You know, it was one thing in 2007 when the Phillies needed to make up a seven-game deficit to the Mets in uh, the final 17 games just to get in the playoffs. The Phillies are probably going to get to the playoffs, barring a, a total collapse here. Uh, and then you take your chances in a short series. And last year, the Braves won 101 games. Now I think they're going to win more than 101 here. Uh, but that did not keep the Phillies from ousting them from the playoffs. Right. So, yes, it becomes another story when the playoffs come around. But, yeah, they're not catching the Braves. So you can, no. put, put, can put that one aside, Opt, overly optimistic Philly fans. Rick from Glen Mills up on 94 WIP. Hey, Rick. Good morning, Jody and Mike. How are you guys doing? Hey, Rick. Good, doing well. Um, you know, you're talking about uh, – scoring in Major League Baseball with errors and everything. Was was the, the Rojas play last night, I just heard you say, was that deemed a hit? No, that one they actually oh, could. It was so was obvious. I'm guessing that the official scorer was shaking his head when he clicked <laughs> off error last night. He wasn't happy about it, but he knew his no. hand was forced. And Boom, Boom clearly kicked that ball, but that would have been a nice play, but I don't think that was a hit either. But I think what's happened in Major League Baseball, the way everything's changed, you know, even the timer and all that notwithstanding, you have starters going six innings, maybe six and a third. And then you get three or four guys coming in, throwing the ball as hard as they possibly can for one inning. And batting averages are down because of that. You have 275, 300 is a pretty good hitter right now. You know, you have one guy tearing it up in Miami, but the rest of the league, I mean, 275, 280, that's a decent hitter. Yeah, you think it's because of that phenomenon and that the Major League Baseball wants base hits, just like the NFL wants touchdowns. Yeah, so, I, um, I think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying, Rick. This is something that Glenn and I talked about last Saturday in the context of the Lorenzen no-hitter, is that one of the big areas of drama in baseball on a day-to-day basis, especially if you're following a team that isn't very good, is a starting pitcher carrying a no-hitter or a shutout into the late innings of a game. And that happens so rarely nowadays that it's an aspect of the game that's declined and it makes the game less interesting. Well, part of the, part of the suspense for me was he had 100 pitches after seven innings. Was Topper going to mm-hmm. take him out? You have combined no-hitters all the time. And Topper even said after the game, I gave him 20 pitches. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, come on, man. The guy's pitching a no-hitter. And that just is not the way yeah. baseball is played now. And I think the league is trying to make offense just like every other league. Uh, a feature, and and that's, I think, a lot of the scoring that's going on. They're being guided by the league. Understood, and And you're right, but here's the two problems with it. Number one, um, thank God in the Lorenzo no-hitter, there were no such plays. 
There was there was right. no play that was debatable. Oh my God, they gave him an error on that. That should have been a hit. This was going to be a tainted no hitter. Uh, that did not crop up the other night, which we should all be thankful for. And number two, I get the overall thought process, but if you check a major league roster these days, Mike, mm-hmm. half of the guys on the team are pitchers. So you're just uh, flipping up the middle finger to the pitchers going, yeah, we don't care one iota about you. Your earned runs, your hits per right. innings, it's a right. lot. Yeah, we don't care. You suck it up. Get it done for the good of the game. Yeah, when you go to arbitration and they start trotting out numbers and compare you to pitchers from three years ago who had that many better numbers than you, oh, sorry, that game changed. You just have to pay for it. Uh, baloney, if you're a pitcher, you're ticked off about this you can't be happy about major league baseball changing the outlook of the game just so it looks better on paper yeah no you're not going to be happy and look the rules changes to a certain degree hampered pitchers more than anybody else right you cut down on the time you have between pitches themselves you take away shifting there needed to be a change in the sport uh i would disagree with rick caller there slightly in that uh, i don't think the changes were totally about just offense. The changes were about getting the ball in play, whether guys you know, threw a guy out at first or chased down a ball in the gap. Um, of course, it was going to lead to more doubles and triples, but Major League Baseball just wants the ball in play more often because the sport had gotten, to be quite frank, boring over time. It just had, when it's all home runs and strikeouts and walks, it just wasn't the same entertaining brand of the sport that we had seen in years past. Yeah, I think Rick was just referring to the official scorers, and they're judging what is or isn't a hit, and I don't care. It's not fair, and it's not right for the pitchers. All right, uh, Mike Zielski, Joe McDonald. I'm in for Glenn Mack now today. Hour in the books, two left to play. Coming up next, we'll get some Eagles de- deep dive info from Marcus Hayes from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, Marcus joins us next here on 94 WIP. Hour number two on a Saturday morning, Mac and Mike, McDonald and Sealski here with you on 94 WIP. We'll go to uh, 1 o'clock today, uh, Go Birds Radio, and then Phillies baseball at 4 o'clock. Afternoon tilt down in Washington. They try and get that series even at one game apiece. Uh, Mike, I, always, I know that I'm always excited when we've got a good guest joining us coming up next, but it's even better. When the guest is excited about talking to us, and that's the only reference I can take with the fact that Marcus Hayes called in before we could call him. He is and nothing if not enthusiastic. He is just that, and he is our buddy. You hear him here on WIP. You read him in the Inquirer. Marcus Hayes joins us on 94 WIP. How you doing, Marcus? we got to put him on. Hold on. Marcus, you there? Pay attention to me. I need attention. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Don't Marcus, we know it to be true? Yeah, I, but when Mike uh, when uh, Mike asked me to be on the show, he said, "Can you call in in the text?" I think. Oh, I okay. Like, okay. I was like, "All right, I guess I gotta call." I know. I, know, I guess if uh, I guess if it's somebody else, they call them. But if it's just me, I gotta call you're, in. You're so expected to call it now. Believe, <laughs> believe me, that is not the case, Marcus. We're glad to have you on. But speaking of attention. A lot of attention being given to the backup quarterback position. And I know we're all hoping the backup quarterback plays not a down this year for the Philadelphia Eagles, or other than in victory formation at the end of three touchdown Eagle games. But Marcus Mariota, not good in practice, not good in the two preseason games. Rookie quarterback Tanner McKee actually has looked good. 
is this just natural that the quarterback position has to draw this attention, or is this actually something that is worth talking about here in Philadelphia? Well, it's only natural in Philadelphia. There are five football cities in the United States that compare to Philadelphia. Philadelphia is one of the five real football cities. Is New York, is Buffalo, crazy enough, Green Bay, another small town, and Dallas and Philly. Those are the places where football is just, you know, 24-7, 365. The reason it matters who the backup quarterback is in Philadelphia is because of Michael Vick and Nick Foles. Michael Vick was probably the best backup quarterback in the Philadelphia Eagles history. He came here as Donovan's backup and wound up just, you know, making $100 million for himself. And Nick Foles became a starter, failed as a starter, came back and won a Super Bowl. This town is more obsessed with backup quarterbacks than any other because of the recent history, number one. Number two, as Howie told us, it's a quarterback factory. So, Marcus, philosophically, with respect to the backup quarterback position, we know that the Eagles, part of the reason that they brought in Mariota was that he was a stylistic fit so to speak, with Jalen Hurts, that they wouldn't have to change the offense too much if Hurts were to miss time to acclimate Mariota. There's an argument to be made, though, that you should, if you being the Eagles, should just go out and get or develop a really good backup quarterback, uh, someone who is reliable, and if he's stylistically different from Hurts, if he's more of a drop-back passer, he can't run the read option as well, uh, that's okay. You adjust because y- you do what you need to do to get the best out of your backup. Where do you kind of come down on that? Did you like the logic of why they went after Mariota, and or would you have done something different? Well, I like the logic of going after Mariota. I just didn't think Mariota was very good. I mean, you have to really be bad to lose your job in Tennessee and Atlanta. You yeah. have to really stink, and he really stank. He was never, ever anywhere near as good as we were sold on him being when, you know, Chip Kelly developed him in Oregon and then tried to draft him. It's, he's just not that good. He's not that good. He doesn't throw the ball very well. He doesn't make very good decisions. And, you know, playing in, you know, the, the Pac-10 used to be so much worse. And the, the offense he ran was way ahead of its time even for college. So what what you saw at Oregon was a mirage. So I don't mind the philosophy of having an RPO backup for your RPO quarterback, but I do mind the, the philosophy of it's so important to have the RPO guy that you ignore the other stuff. Also, Marcus Mariota quit on his team last year. Yep. Marcus Mariota has consistently been a poor teammate, consistently, everywhere. So I was very disappointed in this decision, and uh, you know, I think I said it the other. Uh, I think it was uh, the night before last. I was on with um, with uh, Jack Fritz. We were talking about the quarterback situation after the preseason game. I I I think this is a coaching. The coaches wanted Marcus Mariota. I can't not imagine Howie Roseman saying, "Hey, Marcus Mariota is my guy." If if something catastrophic happens to our RPO quarterback who puts himself at risk two hundred times a year, this is the guy I want being the face voice and leader of my, you know, $6 billion franchise. All right, so let's take it to the next step. 
the reason they signed Mariota was because, hey, he plays like Jalen Hurts or when he's at his best, which isn't often enough. He's uh, like Jalen Hurts. And, oh, by the way, the thing that he's done best so far this preseason is when he pulls it down and runs with it, which is like Jalen Hurts. But everything else is subpar. Do they react? Do they say, yeah, this this could go real bad real fast if Jalen takes a bad hit week number one? Do they admit that maybe they overestimated what Marcus Mariota had left in the tank and react and make a move? Or do they just let this play itself out and cross their fingers and say, uh, yeah, until we actually get Mariota losing us a game, we're not going to overreact? Well, Jeffrey and Howie have been quick to react when faced with real evidence. And they'll take a hit. You know, $5 million actually be like $3.7 million that they waste, assuming Mariota gets claimed if they waive him. Um, if, if he's waivable, I'm not quite sure what his status is. Um, they would react. But we have not seen Marcus Mariota play with the A-team yet. And the A-team is really good. I mean, that's the big question about Jalen Hurts, right? Is it the offensive line, the tight end, these elite receivers, and Miles Sanders? Or is Jalen Hurts really this good? And the answer could be both. But Jalen Hurts has been fortified with, by far, the best supporting offensive cast we've ever seen in Philadelphia. And he might be the jewel, or he might be a byproduct. Their point being, if, if Marcus Mariota is put behind this elite offensive line and has weapons like this elite tight end and these two or three elite receivers, even Marcus Mariota can, can, can succeed. So I, I don't think they'll make a move until he fails in prime time. We're talking with Marcus Hayes, my colleague at the Philadelphia Inquirer, columnist there, and of course uh, host on WIP. Marcus, I think you're 100% right about the offense, about the skill position players and the offensive line. Uh, we have seen some runoff, I guess you'd say, so far throughout training camp where you have injuries to Sean Bradley and Zach McPherson, which should you know, promise to hurt a special teams unit that was already a concern, wasn't a strength mm-hmm. of the team last year. Uh, you've got Hassan Reddick with a broken thumb that has required surgery, and they say he's going to be back for week one. Given those sorts of factors, and given that it's really difficult to get back to the Super Bowl the season after you get there and lose. What are your expectations for the Eagles this season? Do you say to yourself, you know, the rest of the NFC isn't very good. They ought to get back to the Super Bowl. They'll still be the best team. Do you kind of take the position I take, which is, hey, the NFL is unpredictable year to year. You never know what's going to happen. There's always going to be a team that rises up that nobody expects to rise up. And so expecting the Eagles to get back to the Super Bowl is kind of a foolish way of thinking. Where do you come down on expectations uh, for the Eagles in 2023? Well, I'm a big offensive line guy. And in Nick Sirianni's first season, I expected them to win, I can't remember, either 11 or 13 games. They went 9-8, and eight and everybody was really happy. But they might have won 11 or 13 games if he hadn't been such an idiot and tried to pass the ball for seven games of the year. <laughs> Last year, I expected them to win 13 or 14 games. This year, everybody says the schedule is hard. Well, the second half of the schedule is hard. Okay. Again, on Thursday, I was on the show with with uh, Jack, and he kind of pinned me down. And I, I don't like to do, you know, season predictions until we were two or three weeks into training camp. So he pinned me down, 
And he's like, yeah, you know, this worries me, this worries me. So I looked at the schedule. They could be 9-0. and Matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised if they're 9-0. and I think, I think they have nine games before the bye week. This is a really good team, and this is not that tough a schedule early. You know, and statistically, it might be a tough schedule, but knowing the personnel and knowing the, the players and coaches they have to go against, this this should be a cakewalk for the first two, two and a half months. So, yeah, I expect them to be the one or two seed, and I expect them to go back to the Super Bowl. And if they don't, it should be a disappointment. They are clearly, clearly the best team in the NFC. It, to me, I don't think it's really remotely – I would say they're by 25% the best team in the, in the NFC. And, of course, you can have injuries, but the coaching – the head coach and most of the remaining coaching staff, they've proven themselves to be really, really good. The quarterback's really, really good in my estimation. And the rest of the units, this might be the best offensive line we've ever seen the Eagles have, depending on you know how the right guard situation works out. Dallas Goddard might be it might be the best tight end they ever see. And this is the best receiving core they ever had. I don't know about the running backs, and I don't know about the you know defensive line and the safeties, but this is a highly pedigreed team that's built to win everything right now, and they have a good coaching staff and an, an elite GM. So, yeah, they should be back in the NFC Championship game, and depending on who they face, they should win it. All right, a couple of things off Marcus's optimism. Uh, number one, I did see the other night, Eagles to go 5-0. and You can get plus 375, which is a pretty good number. Marcus got him 9-0. and 5-0 and should be a cakewalk if that's the case. So uh, check your uh, sports wagering app, hopefully Bet Parks, uh, for, for that wager because Marcus says 5-0 and is a walk in the park. Week sex against the Jets in uh, the Meadowlands and that Rodgers guy could actually be a test. Uh, number two, I think San Francisco is the only team that can and potentially may uh, beat them in the NFC. I think there's a big separation between those two and everybody else. I'm not going to say the Eagles are head and shoulders over the 49ers because I'm a pretty guy. Uh, so I'd keep those two teams separate, and then comes everybody else for me. And the thing that I think is funny, you talk about the offensive line. Uh, I know that you can't, Mike can't, all you guys can't, because you get one question in those post-game uh, interviews and the like. I'd love to have somebody ask Sirianni, are you sure that uh, Jerkins isn't starting the right tackle? You had him sitting on the bench in civvies the other night, but he won't commit to him as the starting right tackle. I know you got more mm-hmm. important questions to ask, but I, I want to see the coach deal with that one again because he hasn't uh, to this point. You're confident that Jerkins is going to be that good, that there's going to be no drop-off from Isaac Sayomalo leaving, Marcus? No, I think there will be drop-off. But I think also your left guard, Dickerson, if he, assuming he's healthy, and I think he will be, and Mylotta will be better than they were last year. I mean, these guys were really good, but they're still really raw. But they've had another full season and off season with Jeff Stoutland and training camp, so they should be even better. So, yeah, they're not going to be an identical line to last year, but I believe that both Mylotta and uh, Landon Dickerson are better players than Isaac Sayamalu, and their ceiling is higher than his. And, you know, that's one of the reasons they let Isaac Sayamalo go. You know, it's not that he was a bad player. They probably could have, could have afforded it. But they've drafted his replacement twice now. And one's playing left guard, one's playing right guard. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very bullish on this offensive line. And it's, it's only going to get better 
because the quarterback's going to be more familiar with it. They're going to be more familiar with the quarterback. I mean, what? it's only been two years, and they were an elite offense last year. They're going to be better this year, assuming everyone stays healthy. Marcus, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, you wrote for today, it's online at Inquire.com now, about James Harden, Daryl Morey, liar, liar, pants on fire, standoff. Uh, <laughs> what is your perspective on this situation? I think I'm inclined to agree with you about where the – primary blame lies here but what's your take well i mean my first take is thank god josh harris bought the team because for the last 11 years if i ever had a day i didn't have a column idea i could just write about his, <laughs> you know, his crazy sixers franchise i mean from andrew bynum to james harden it's been just material you know it's gold jerry gold gold you know? jerry gold i've been working out jerry i'm huge yeah so <laughs> So, yeah, um, you know, there is no – look, Daryl Morey turned Ben Simmons, who he didn't draft and didn't want, eventually into James Harden. James Harden's a good player. He was a really good player last year, you know, and he, he was essentially on a one-year deal when he got here. They got two years out of him. He was probably overpaid for what he was last year, but he probably could have gotten that on a one-year deal somewhere else. There's nowhere he's getting a two-year deal for $68 million last offseason. There's nowhere he's, getting any, nowhere he's getting anywhere near the max or $35.6 million this year. Daryl Morey has done James Harden a solid for who James Harden is. Now, James Harden and his agent have to create this, you know, market for James Harden. Nobody's fooled by James Harden anymore. The reason James Harden opted in to his $35.6 million and didn't become a free agent is because he knew the only place he was going to make $35.6 million this year or maybe the next two years combined was Philadelphia because he's not a valuable commodity anymore, and he killed his value in game six and seven of the Eastern Conference semifinals against the Celtics. So all these machinations, you know, the, the I'd prefer to be in Houston stuff that his agent leaked last year, I'm gonna, I want to be traded to the Clippers if I opt in, all that stuff, it's all failed. It was never going to work. The Clippers didn't want him. The the Rockets didn't want him. It's all come from James Harden and James Harden's camp. The myth of James Harden is much more significant now than the reality. And for him to call Daryl Morey a liar, I mean, I don't understand what the what, what the win is there for him. Who's going to want that guy? Who's so going to hire a guy? Who's calling, who's calling a guy who overpaid him twice, well, maybe more than twice, depending on what you think of what he did in Houston, a liar in public in China where that guy is hated and where you're dropping a new shoe or wine or something like that. So, yeah, it, this is all James Harden's fault. Daryl Morey got good value for Ben Simmons. That guy should be delighted he has a place where he can play and win for a lot of money this coming season because that place doesn't exist otherwise so you think the story that broke today uh adrian wojnarowski on espn that the nba is going to investigate that there might not have been promises made or uh circumventions acted on that you think the sixers will get off this scot free that this is a complete james harden creation no i no i don't think it's a complete great james harden creation i believe james harden believes that he was going to reap the benefits of taking $15 million less if he kept his mouth shut, changed his game, 
and was productive, no matter how productive he was. But the reality was he wasn't James Harden. He didn't come back to the James Harden form. And Daryl Morey has said on the record several times, you know, we are very excited to extend James Harden and give him a lot of money. And then James Harden didn't produce. So, no, I think I, I believe the investigation is going to happen because James Harden and his agent are saying, hey, this was done. And maybe they have some documentation. Maybe Daryl Morey was stupid. You know, but we, he's done he's done stupid stuff before. <laughs> but and even but even if there were promises made, James Harden didn't live up to his end. He wasn't as good as he could have. He wasn't as, as good as they hoped he'd be. Therefore, they weren't interested or really they, they would have been doing a, a disservice to the franchise to invest the kind of money that he wants and thinks that he was promised if he was promised that money. So the investigation may reap some sort of, you know, uh, intimation or promise or overt, you know, uh, miscreants. But the reality is James Harden's not worth that kind of money. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's going to get uglier before it gets better, but it could have been even so. uglier <laughs> than that. We always root Let's, for ugly, don't we, Marcus? Yeah. Oh, my. Oh, this has been, you know, I, I sent out this tweet. And it's funny because I got a lot of, like, Washington Commanders, Cleveland Browns, you know, whatever, uh, blowback. Flyers are horrible. There has been no franchise in the history of organized American sports that has been this dysfunctional in a 10-year period. And I should have said 11-year period because you can argue that the trade for Andrew Bynum, four first-round draft picks for a guy who never played, was the worst trade in history. You know, you can talk about, you know, all these other guys traded, you know, the, this clunker was traded for this, Babe Ruth, whatever. This guy never played. And they cost him four first-round draft. It's the first thing they did. It cost him four first-round draft picks. Damn. So, for, for, in 11 years, they have done, and it's not just one thing. And it's not normal stuff either. And it's not like horrendous stuff. It's not like the commander's stuff, trust me, is way worse. But it's consistent. This has been like the the diaspora of crazy, bad, weird stuff over an eleven year period. And you and two I guys, would just like to thank, I would just like to thank Josh Harris. Josh again Harris, for, yes, back, for doing back to Josh. Uh, and you two guys might have been there. I wasn't because I was on the air. the The Bynum press conference, which they had. At the Constitution Center, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, the self-celebration of that was pretty sickening at the time. It was over the top. I was on WIP that night, and I remember getting call after call going, you know, he could have at least worn a college shirt that Bynum showed up in like a a sloppy T-shirt for this big announcement, this big unveiling of the franchise savior, Andrew Bynum. He showed up in a T-shirt that hadn't been washed in two months. Yeah, I was we, there. Yeah, we should have should have been able to read into that one ahead of time. Didn't know that Marcus Hayes and Mike Sealski were going to get columns about it for eleven years, but that was uh, maybe a tip of the iceberg. He showed up in sweatpants, flip flops, the T-shirt, and he slept on the plane. His hair was not combed. Oh. So that's your introduction to Andrew Bynum, and the only question I asked during the press conference was, Josh, if you had the chance to sign Andrew Bynum to a max contract, would you do it, you know, considering his injury issues and the fact that he hasn't played for it? He said, give me his pen, I'll sign right now. Ooh. Jeez. 
seat. Like, like <sighs> I said, and at that point, at that point, I said, "This is going to be so much fun." I hope he never. <laughs> Like I said, could have been worse. Marcus, a pleasure. Thank you for calling us. We appreciate that greatly. We, we, well, we need, anticipated I'm, I'm you needy. as much as you anticipated us. I'm a needy. I'm a needy sort. So, well, thank you for having me. Marcus is not mentioning that when I texted him to remind him that we were going to be uh, talking to him at eleven. He said. What are you talking about? I'm on a plane with my mother flying home. Oh, so he's he was yeah. teasing me and, and playing around a little bit. I saw that text. I'm like, oh, my God, he forgot he's doing the radio show. <laughs> he did not forget. He called us, and we're appreciative of it. Marcus, a pleasure. Thanks, bud. All right, boys. Thanks, Marcus. Marcus Hayes from the Philadelphia Inquirer and host right here on 94 WIP. Got off on a Sixer tangent, which was fun, I got to admit. Uh, you want to talk Sixers, we can, and or uh, the Phillies or the Eagles. We come back, we got a little wh- what you're watching coming up. He's Mike Sealski. I'm Jody McDonald. Appreciate you being tuned here on 94 WIP. What we're watching, sponsored by the good folks at Guided Door and Window. Take advantage of Guided Door and Window's big summer sales event. Receive 40% off all windows and doors. Call 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them online at G-O-G-U-I-D-A.com, goguida.com. All right, uh, quickie behind-the-scenes thing. Since we went behind-the-scenes with Marcus Hayes, we can do it with me and Sealski, too. Sure. Uh, Mike reaches out on Friday, says, upcoming show, blah, 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 who you want to get? I have a Marcus, I have a Ben Davis. Okay, good. So we're all set. We know what we're going to talk about. And he said, how about what we're watching? And I said, well, no, that's kind of a Glenn thing. Glenn and Ray did that forever. I didn't want to step on Glenn's what we're watching toes. So I said, don't worry about it. But then Glenn jumps in and says, what are you going to do for what you're watching? Because, you know, it's sponsored, <laughs> right? I said, oh, shoot, yeah, I forgot about the sponsor. No problem. Salesky and I will come up with something. So what we're watching, sponsored by the good folks at Guide a Door and Window. Mike, what are you watching? So well, You had vacation last week. You must have done some significantly watching. I actually didn't, Jody. I spent most of my vacation in the... New Hope, Lambertville area, because my son was at camp up that way. Okay. So I would have to drive up that way, uh, drop him off at camp, spend five hours in a Starbucks or another kind of coffee shop doing work on my upcoming book, and then pick him up and come home. So I was not watching much, but, 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 uh, a week ago, Saturday, my wife and I, with our two boys who were aged 12 and 9, sat down uh, and finally finished off. Season four of Stranger Things, which I know has been out for a long while on Netflix. It's this incredibly popular show. I don't know if you've watched it. I don't know how many of our listeners uh, are plugged into it. But this finale episode about a group of kids who are dealing with dark, sinister, supernatural forces in the town of Hawkins, Indiana, uh, capped its fourth season with a two-hour, 20-minute episode that we as a family had been building up to, and the boys loved it. It was terrific, and it pointed out to me, Jody, and I don't know how you feel about this, how few entertainment products there are nowadays that a family can enjoy all at once. Now, this show, Stranger Things, is fairly scary. Certainly for younger kids, our nine-year-old Gabe seems to handle it very, very well, but I felt like there were more of those kinds of things back when I was a kid, um, and there aren't as many now. So it was kind of cool for the four of us to be able to kind of bunker down on a Saturday night and just, you know, get into this thing. And there's supposed to be a fifth season. It's on hold because of the 
writer's strike, uh, but we are looking forward to it when it comes around. So that's what we're watching is Stranger Things. How about you? couple things. Never watched Stranger Things uh, because, yeah, I kind of got the drift as to what it was about. Not my cup of tea. My daughter, who does like scary things, no longer lives in the house, so it's not like I'm going to sit down and watch it with her. So I, I took a pass on it, but you're right. It has gotten some very good acclaim. Uh, so glad you enjoyed it. And I'm shocked. Two hour and twenty minute final. Yeah, it was. Kids it wasn't don't like have a, that kind of attention span. How do you get your nine year old to sit still for two hours and twenty minutes? Well, he didn't. Not for the full two hours and twenty minutes. There were yeah, bathroom that, breaks, that's but surprising. when it was on and when he didn't have to pee, he was locked in. Okay, that's good to hear. Glad, glad you enjoyed it. Um, and yes, I was watching. I shame on me. I can't believe I can't remember what I was watching. But they showed uh, commercials for, yes, there are still commercial promotions, whatever you want to call it, um, for The Lincoln Lawyer on Netflix, mm-hmm. which this was the release of all 10 episodes of season two. I had already watched season one, so I'd been waiting, and Glenn and I discussed it. He told me that it was coming back soon. I didn't know when, but I saw a commercial that said, oh, it's already released. All right, let me get over to Netflix. First things first on Netflix, I give them credit because there's a whole bunch of streaming services. At least in Netflix, when you're going to do the binge thing Mm -hmm. and you just don't have nine and a half hours to dedicate to watch ten episodes and you know you're going to break it down and watch some and get back to it later, at least when you log out and you log back in, it gets you right back to where you left off. Yes, it does. Yes, It gets resumed season six. And that's boom, uh, episode six of season two, and you go right to it. Some you got to go through all the episodes and screen up and screen down. It's a pain in the rear end. So I give Netflix credit for making it user-friendly. Uh, as far as Lincoln Lawyer goes, uh, very well done. I'm a huge uh, Michael Connolly fan, the mm-hmm. author, one of the best uh, Crime writers, writers yeah. uh, that there is. Um, I read every single Lincoln Lawyer book prior to watching season one and now season two. Uh, it does play well on the big screen. I told Glenn this after the first season because he, too, watched it. I didn't like the fact, and, and and again, very well written, but I did read the books ahead of time. The Lincoln Lawyer was not, Mickey Holler was not of Mexican descent. Mm. And they made him into a, uh, for lack of a better word, Hispanic character. And it played well, and he was great. Mm-hmm. But when you read it first and you think you know Mickey Holler and then you find out Mickey Holler is something other than on the TV what he was on the printed page, it does throw you for a little bit of a loop. But they stay uh, uh, to the characters. Nev Campbell is his ex-wife. I wish they could work her in more often. She's a... Uh, marginal character in this series, and I'm just a big Nev Campbell fan. Oh, yeah, she was great. At Party of Five, Scream, Wild Things. Yes, love a uh, big Nev Campbell fan. Um, the one thing I will say uh, is, and I, I need your take on this, it's L.A.-based, and mm-hmm. it was L.A.-based in the book until I based on the, on the television show. Um, I'm not an L.A. guy. I've been to L.A., a uh, grand total of four times in my life, I think, maybe five, somewhere there, gotten a, a connection to uh, Hawaii mm-hmm. on the way. Does that count as a stopover sure, in L.A.? Sure, why not? Just spend two hours in the airport. Um, so I'm not a uh, West Coast kind of guy. But so many TV shows are based in L.A. I feel that I almost know L.A., even though I've been there for a grand total of X amount of hours in my entire life. 
do you enjoy that? Do you like learning about the, you get to the point where you say, all right, I've never been here, but I know exactly what they're showing. I know exactly what they're trying to put forth with this presentation. It really is an L.A. show, and I think it portrays L.A. quite well. Do, do you follow that same line of thinking that I do? I usually do, but not with L.A. I'm not an L.A. fan either. I've been there, like you, four or five times, usually for trips related to work. I'm covering a baseball series or an Eagles game or something like that. Uh, the area always feels very big and kind of unwieldy to me, and it's so difficult to get around, I feel like, because of the traffic and because it's such a vast area. Uh, I don't care for it very much, but I do like that aspect. I like a a feeling of place in a show. And whether you're talking about, I feel that often whenever something is said in Boston or in New York in particular, uh, you know, go back, one of my favorite movies is Fargo. You want to talk about a movie that feels like the place it is in with right. the accents and the weather and all of that. I do like that aspect of, of television and movies. I just don't feel it with L.A. The show is, is well-written, Michael Connolly, no surprise. It's well-portrayed on the screen, and it really does give you a good L.A. feel if you're an L.A. kind of guy. So that's what we're watching. We'll come back. Uh, we've got the doc coming up, uh, the What You're Watching, sponsored by the good folks at Guided Door and Window. Mac and Mike here with you on 94 WIP, Sealski and McDonald, coming back in just a second. The Bet Park Sportsbook app, the only sportsbook app I recommend and play with. They cater to the real Philly sports fan with best in in-class customer service, odds, bets, slots, games, and it's all right there in the palm of your hand. No matter where you go all summer, you've got the Bet Park Sportsbook app with you. Right now, everybody's looking at NFL upcoming seasonal futures. Who's going to? Marcus Hayes says the Eagles going nine and zero. Check out if you can bet the Eagles going nine and zero. And who's going to have the most yards? Who's going to be the MVP? A lot of football bets you can make. Golf stuff. We've got uh, golf, a uh, big tournament going on this weekend. You can bet all the golf with the Bet Park Sportsbook app. If you've never played with them before, join them for the first time. Make your first do- uh, wager a $10 one. If you hit it, you get $125 in a bonus sportsbook bet back. Must be a winning bet, and bonus bets must be wagered once. It is the summer. Football is just around the corner. Now's the time for you to jump in and join with the Bet Park Sportsbook app. Judd Mack here with you on 94WIP. I'm filling in for Glenn Mack now. I got Glenn's usual Saturday partner, Mike Sealski, with me. We go till uh, 1 o'clock today. Don't forget Philly's coming on 4 o'clock afternoon tilt before they somehow get their way to uh, the home of the Little League World Series. Ben Davis is going to join us coming up in 15 minutes. I'm not sure if he's got travel plans or not. We know he's in Washington. Don't uh, I, I assume he's doing a whole series. We'll find out how the Phillies are going to get up there. Uh, we've got an hour and change to go. We've got time to get a call or two in here. We're expecting a call from our buddy from uh, Cooper Bone and Joint. Uh, Dr. David Geld should be calling us. Hopefully Doc checks Shout in out to da- Dr. Geld. Call in. Get in. Get on. If Marcus, if, Hayes, if Marcus can... Hayes is calling us, you can call us too, Darn Doc. Right. Come on. All right, man. In the meantime, and in between time, we get Ash from Virginia up here. Ash, you're on 94 WIP. Hey, guys. How are you this morning? Hi, Ash. We're good. I wanted to ask a couple questions. I just saw the story about the NBA investigation. So first question, do, what exactly are they trying to figure out what's done wrong? Because to me, like, is something up with, like, you know, if Maury and Hart had a handshake deal, you do this, this year I'll give you this contract, is that not permitted? Or what's, like, you're just saying, what's, what are they trying to figure out is that exactly? Well, the yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to figure out if Harden was, is right to feel and believe that 
he and Maury had reached some kind of binding agreement about uh, his contract, about whether they would sign him to an extension. And this dates back to last offseason, really, when uh, Harden could have opted in and gotten paid, what, $47 million last season and decided not to and instead uh, signed a two-year deal with the second year being uh, a player option. So uh, I think he did that, as Marcus Hayes mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, Jody. He did that, you know, thinking that he still might get uh, a long-term extension, and the question is whether uh, Maury promised him something or didn't promise him something. I don't think Maury did. I would be surprised if Maury had done that. Here's where I think uh, Harden's argument is going to be a tough one to make. He signed a new contract, which included an extra year attached to it. Now, it was an option year, so it was his decision to make, which, if you're a player, is always a good thing. But they renegotiated that contract. So if it was just a one-year deal and Morey said, listen, you need to take less this year coming up, um, and then we'll give it to you. We'll give you the max deal, four years, whatever, max money. And, okay, fine, that I could understand. Morey may pull the wool over James's eyes, and the NBA may have recourse to take action against them. But because he signed a new, different contract with another year attached to it, that kind of negates the we're going to give you a new contract again on top of this. I think it's going to be a very tough argument to make. I think the Sixers are going to dodge a bullet here, um, but uh, we'll yeah. find out after the uh, uh, investigation is done. All right. Yes, we do have Dr. David Gelt uh, on the telephone line to join us. He has checked in uh, like uh, Marcus Hayes, Dr. Gelt, Jody McDonald, Mike Sealski here. How are you, bud? Very good, guys. How are you doing today? Hi, Dr. Sorry. Gelt. How are you? Good. So let's start with uh, two torn Achilles tendons with the Philadelphia Eagles, one with Sean Bradley, one with Zach McPherson. There was a time, I think, when a torn Achilles not only meant the end of a season for an athlete, but it really put his or her career in jeopardy. Is that necessarily the case anymore? How much progress has been made uh, in terms of repairing a kill, torn Achilles and getting athletes back to where they want and need to be. Yeah, I mean, with, with any surgery, you know, technology and improvements with surgical techniques has been helpful. Um, it's still a tough surgery and it's a, a long rehab, as you, as you know, with, you know, with uh, other athletes that we've seen go through it. But the good thing is, you know, with proper treatment afterwards, good rehab protocols, uh, they can get back. But it does take a good year or so, you know, nine to 12 months, really, before you're get back to full go. And then even after that, it just takes a while to get back to full swing as far as football uh, shape. Doc, we talk about the Eagles and the links to which they go to try and protect their players by keeping them out of preseason practices, days off, maintenance days, not playing in preseason games and the like. Um, I guess this is an opinion question as much as it is a medical question. How how fine a line is that that you have to balance? Because I understand can't get hurt if you're standing on the sidelines in civilian clothes. But you also need to get your body ready for an NFL season because once they start to play every single week, 17 weeks, there's going to be somebody in the other team that's trying to do you bodily harm. If they consulted with you and said, how do you achieve that perfect balancing act, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, you took the words out of my mouth. It's, it's a fine line, and you have to 
you know, how much can you play? And you you want to don't want to risk injury at the same time. You don't want to be out of football shape too. So you know, it sounds like with Sirianni is he's doing a lot in practice where it's sort of almost uh, game ready type activities there. And I guess you can be a little more not safer, but you know, it's a little more modified just because you're you're not playing against another opponent. Um, but at the same time, you still want to have them get in ready shape so that they're able to play and they're not going to be cold. And it's going to take you know three four weeks to just get ready after the season's already started and then, you know, the games count. So it's, it's difficult. Um, you know, you hopefully you keep fingers crossed, you don't have the injury bug for that year and you stay safe. And that's the whole you know name of the game for football is keeping people safe and having uh, away from injuries. Dr. Gell, last one from me. We saw Michael Lorenzen pitch last night uh, for the first time since his no hitter when he threw 124 pitches and he didn't pitch well. He wasn't sharp. And in the aftermath, he said, you know, his body didn't, feel quite right. He didn't feel tired uh, and he wasn't injured, but he didn't feel quite right. Is there a way, is this totally dependent on who the pitcher is and who the athlete is, but is there a generally accepted way of how to manage uh, a pitcher in this situation? You know, Lorenzen is accustomed to having been a a reliever for most of his career. Now he's a starter now he's gone, whatever it was, seven days, eight days between starts. What's the best way for him to kind of handle this from a health standpoint to make sure that he's not putting himself at risk for an arm injury? Yeah, I mean, that's also an open-ended question, and it's different for each person. You know, also is a point where he hasn't pitched in seven, eight days. Is he not used to waiting that long? And does he get rusty or cold? And, you know, during his bullpen sessions, is he not doing as much? So it's hard to tell if, you know, if it's because of that or if he's just, you know, through so much he's not used to doing that it just takes him longer to recover you know not that we always say you know back in my day you know if people were pitching on four days you know rotation and they're pitching 100 125 pitches every time and they're doing okay but nowadays you know we see that 100 pitch mark and that's sort of a, a fine line where we have to stop at that point so hopefully you know we uh if it was just a little roster he's you know a little sore and it's going to just take a little bit longer but um hopefully we'll get back and not that he's going to pitch another no-hitter, but if it goes six, seven innings, that'd be good for us. Doc, uh, last one for me, and this kind of crystal ball question. Hoping that it never comes up, but just to keep people uh, informed and remembering a difference, an ankle sprain and a high ankle sprain. They are considered two different things for just in case an Eagle player takes a play. It doesn't happen much with baseball players, uh, but it does happen with uh, basketball and football players. What's the difference between just a regular ankle sprain and a high ankle sprain? Yeah, so a regular ankle sprain, what everybody does, you know, if they invert their foot or they twist their ankle, you know, there's a couple little flimsy ligaments on the outside of the ankle that can sprain and stretch out or even partial tear, and they usually heal pretty easily. But a high ankle sprain is actually is that there's a, ligament or membrane in between the two bones in the, the shin area, and that can get injured, and that's why it's a little higher up. When you squeeze it, it hurts. And with high ankle sprains, it takes a lot longer to heal. It's almost sometimes better to have a fracture even than a high ankle sprain because the amount of time for it to heal, it can be you know dramatic. So if anything, you always want to have like a simple ankle sprain, normally what you and I would do all the time versus a high ankle sprain. So we don't want to try to hear that word if we don't have to. 
Speak for yourself, Doc. I don't do anything that gets my eye <laughs> or regular these days. But uh, if I do get anything, I know who to call. Dr. David Gale from Cooper Bone and Joy, thank you very much for hopping on. Thanks, Doctor. All right, guys. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye, guys. You got it. Take Dr. It David Gelt here with us on 94 WIP. I know. Nobody's got a high ankle sprain, but it always becomes a topic of conversation. Doc did a good job of explaining it. It is certainly a medical difference, and it is a significant difference between how long a guy is going to be out if he just has an ankle sprain and or a high ankle sprain. Uh, Jalen Hurts, hope you're listening. You get neither of those two <laughs> this year. we got to make sure of that. No one right, wants he, to see Marcus Mariota, Jody. Uh, we're back where the show started. He's Mike Stielski. I'm Jody McDonald. Mac and Mike coming up next. We're going to hear from Ben Davis. He's down in the nation's capital calling the series on NBC Sports Philadelphia this weekend. Last night's loss, today's 4 o'clock game, and then the trip to the uh, Little League World Series for the Sunday night baseball action. We'll talk all things Phillies with Ben Davis next here on 94WIP. You got Mac and Mike here with you on 94WIP. Jody McDonald in for Glenn Mac now with his partner on Saturdays, Mike Sealski. Uh, we had uh, Marcus Hayes call us. We had Dr. Stephen Gelt call us as well. Well, Ben Davis, we had to actually call. But we're not going to give him a hard time because I'm watching the Philly game last night, and sure enough, about the sixth or seventh inning, Ben mentions he's going to be on the radio today here in Philadelphia at noon with Mac and Mike on 94 WIP. Ben Davis, thank you very much for the promotion. I had to give you a shout-out. You know me. (laughs) Appreciate it, Ben. Appreciate it very much. No problem. Yes, we do know you, and that's why we got John, because, A, you're a good guy, but more importantly, you understand the game inside out. First things first, and I know this is trivial, but I just need to know. How are you getting from D.C. to Williamsport after the game today? Well, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going home. I'm okay. taking the train after the game. Uh, it's March Oh, that's right. It's the ESPN game yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. So we lose, oh. we lose that one again. And um, But the team is going to fly out in the morning. They're flying fly, out in the morning. They're flying out. Where do you fly to to go to Williamsport? Williamsport International. I, I have no <laughs> idea. I don't know. Um, I guess there's there must be a, an airfield somewhere close to there. They they land they, on the football field at Lycoming College. I think. There you oh. go. There you go. Yeah. So right. uh, yeah, they're flying out in the morning. Then they have a big day planned with the little leaguers and parades and all that kind of stuff. So it'll be a long day for them. Um, but it, thankfully, they at least have a four o'clock game today and get some a little more shut eye tonight and, and get ready for tomorrow. All right, Ben. So, Jody, earlier in the show, because he's a negative Philadelphia talk show host, and I'm all sweetness and light and seashells and balloons, was looking for someone to blame last night for this 8-7 loss that the Phillies suffered. Mm -hmm. Whose feet, where do you put this on? Is it just buzzsaw Washington Nationals since the All-Star break? Uh, You know, poor effort from a guy who threw a no-hitter his last time out. What happened last night? I think it was just a combination of, uh, just a combustible lineup with the Nats, and I, I can't believe I'm saying that, um, but they have played really good baseball. Um, I, you know, I agree with both of you in the fact that Jody says it's just, you know, he can't really point the finger at anybody, and then you point the finger at Rojas, Mike, and, um, you know, that ball needs to be caught. That's yeah. the bottom line. That ball needs to be caught, and it, it led to some bad things, obviously, in that bottom of that fourth inning where they scored six runs after the Phillies just scored six runs. Uh, Rojas would be the first one to tell you you should have caught it. Uh, it led to some, some awful things. And then you're thinking, well, why didn't Rob Thompson get get uh, Lorenzen out of there? Mm-hmm. And T-Mac asked me that during the break. He goes, do you think he should have gone to the pen a little sooner? I said, Tom, I don't think he had the the, the time to. And secondly, and, and I feel awful in saying this because they are big league players. They do have big league you know, uniforms on. 
But I said, you know, I don't think that he really thought that Alou, Vargas, and Rutherford were going to come up with key hits in that inning. Mm-hmm. You know, Rutherford came into the game with three big league hits. He was hitting 130 on the year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were able to string some together. And obviously, C.J. Abrams with that big three-run blast that, that uh, you know, put him up 7-6. But uh, it just happened so quickly. I just don't think they had time to get Hoffman loose that in enough time. Legit question. Uh, caller ask, give credit where credit is due. I didn't think about it at the time. Maybe I should have. In that inning, I know the three-run blast came quick. He had walked the batter previous two. Uh, caller noted that the catcher didn't go out, Mr. Former Catcher, that the pitching coach didn't go out, that the first mound visit was to tell uh, the no-hitter uh, artist that his night was over and done with after giving up the three-run homer. Was that potentially mishandled? Should there have been at least a deep breath taken somewhere along the line to maybe give the starting pitcher a chance? As uh, surprising it may have been, the part of the order that was up there, it all did happen. Did the Phillies not give their pitcher a chance to breathe? Yeah, I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Uh, would you like to see someone go out? Probably. Just to break up the rhythm of the inning, just to give Lorenzen a chance to breathe because he threw an awful lot of pitches in that fourth inning. And, uh, yeah, you know, you probably could have given him a, a little bit of breathing breathing room. It didn't happen that way. Uh, you're thinking, well, this guy just threw a no-hitter. He's a veteran guy. He'll know how to get out of it. I just think in that situation, just tell him, hey, relax. It's, you're just, I just thought he was overthrowing last night. Now, he's a guy that grunts on pretty much every pitch. But last night he seemed to be really, like, he, he went from, like, running to, like, the Monica Sellis of grunting. You know, <laughs> like, That's the like, first Monica did. Sellis reference on WIP since 1993. <laughs> exactly. I'm showing my age, aren't I? <laughs> um, so I think it, it, it's one of those things where he's just overthrowing the baseball. And the harder he went after it, the more he started to elevate the baseball, and he lost command of the strike zone. So, yeah, you, it would have been nice to go out there and break that rhythm up a little bit, but it, it didn't happen, and, you know, the Phillies lose a ball game. We're talking to Ben Davis, Phillies – color analyst for NBC Sports Philadelphia. And Ben, just to kind of tie a bow on the pitching uh, topic and the rotation, Jody and I were kicking this around a little bit earlier in the show. You know, the Phillies are going with this, I guess you'd call it a six-man rotation after having a four-man rotation and a bullpen start for most of the early part of the season. Uh, If you're Rob Thompson or just watching from the relative distance you have, how do you handle this? you know, do you worry at all about guys getting out of a rhythm? At some point, do you have to shorten this rotation? Uh, what do you think is going to be kind of the plan moving forward here for the Phils? Well, I think, um, you know, I think they're going to eventually get back to that five-man rotation. It's something that they, all these guys have been accustomed to throughout their career um, in professional baseball. It's every fifth day. You take the ball every fifth day. Now, having said that, I kind of see the reasoning for it. And, listen, I could be completely off in this. But I think you're starting to see some of the wear and tear with, with Zach Wheeler and with Aaron Nola. So I think that maybe was in the back of their minds, too. Hey, if we have an opportunity, and Sanchez has been throwing the ball incredibly well, I give him all the credit in the world for being that fifth starter. They went from a team that you know, only had really three or four starters to a team that now has mm-hmm. six. And you have a guy that you know, was throwing the ball pretty darn good in, in Sanchez. And you think, okay, if we can give Wheeler an extra day, we can give Nola an extra day, Maybe we'll start to see some of that velocity come back. Maybe we'll start to see a little bit more of the sharpness come back. Um, it just unfortunately hasn't worked out that way. But I think if you get these guys back on a more of a routine, I think it will help them out tremendously just to know that, hey, this is the way it is. The off days are going to be short now. Uh, there's obviously way more off days now uh, throughout the course of the season. 
Uh, just, I mean, look at the Phillies just had one on Monday. They had another one on Thursday. I don't see the reasoning for it, but, you know, I guess it's part of the new CBA. They, they need more off days. Uh, right. But I think with regards to the six-man rotation, it's going to be cut down to five. I'm going to make you put on both your catcher's hat, your manager's hat, your general manager's hat, all in one, because there's a lot of things that go into how you they how they got into this and how they have to eventually get out of this. You have to look at the individual pitchers and what does or doesn't work for them. You've got to look at the importance of the game, and they're all pretty damn important, but some matchups more so than others, like the Giants coming up, the team directly behind them, and the wild card standings. And you also have to just think about the long-term picture, not just short-term, but long-term. If you factor all those things in, what to Ben Davis would be the most important? If you have to lean, you have to put them all into the mix, but you need to lean on one more heavily than others. Is it the individual pitcher and what they do or don't like? Is it, hey, I'm only worried about the standing. The standings tell me I need to do this, so I'm going to do this. Or do you have to be patient and step back and go, our goal is, as soon as the playoffs start, another red October. How do you balance all those things? What's the most important thing to you, former Major League catcher Ben Davis? I think, you know, and, and not to be cliche, but I think the scoreboard tells an awful lot about the, the game. The scoreboard tells a lot about how you play the game, how you manage the game, uh, the pitchers that you use in the game, the hitters that you use in the game, the situations you use um, to advance runners and things like that. If it's, you know, it also tells you where the standings are. You look at the out-of-town scoreboard, it tells you right then and there what you need to do. Uh, my biggest concern, and honestly, I, I, this could, you know, my biggest concern is pitching. And it's, it's uh, you know, if you can get the, your pitchers rested, and that being the bullpen, you know, maybe you go into a series and say, all right, Aaron Nola, you're getting the baseball in game two. Uh, you got four or five innings max. And then the, the bullpen has to come in. And, and the only way the bullpen can come in and do a good job is, is be successful is if they're healthy. So for me right now, looking at it with a three-and-a-half game lead over the Giants, I think bullpen health um, and rest is the biggest of my concerns because I think they can – we've seen it in years past. Bullpens can carry you throughout the course of playoffs. Obviously, timely hitting, you're going to need that. You're going to need to hit the ball out of the ballpark. But I think this lineup is, is where it needs to be right now. I'm seeing some very good things out of a lot of people, and I'm, I'm very happy about that. And I think some guys are actually going to start to take off and even soar even higher. But I think with, the, with regards to pitching, that is my number one concern. Get these guys rested and get them, keep them down as, as much as possible. And then if you have to use them, so be it. But keep looking at that scoreboard. That'll tell you everything you need to know to keep hold on to that number one spot in the wild card. Ben, do you care where this team finishes in the standings? And what I mean by that is it seems to me that they are built, given the right timing, to win a short series. That, as I said earlier in the show, they're the kind of team that I don't think anybody wants to face in a best-of-three or best-of-five because all it would take would be two or three guys getting really hot and Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, Ranger Suarez throwing a terrific game or two and a team like the Braves or the Dodgers that's well ahead of them in the standings could get bounced. I'm not suggesting that the Phillies are anywhere near as good as those two teams over a full 162-game regular season. But I'll ask the question again, do you really care where they end up in the standings or is just getting in the playoffs all that matters at this point? I heard you say earlier that, that you know, who cares where they finish as long as they get in. I do care in the fact that I want them to get that number one wild card because they get to play at home mm-hmm. in the first series. And we know what that place was like last year. It is a zoo. And, and the players just fed off that. 
And the other teams, I think, cowered to it, to be perfectly honest with you. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's a place that, you know, anything can happen. And I just think that it was such a long time since the Phillies have been in the playoffs. And the team was so likable, and everyone just gravitated towards them. Uh, the city turned red overnight. And I think if they can be that, that home, have that home field advantage and be in the number one playoff seat or in the wild card, I think that would help them out tremendously. All right, Ben, I'm going down a road I've been down before, and with every passing day, it seems like the chances of this happening just are flittering away. I mentioned this to uh, the manager. We had Rob Thompson on last week when I filled in on the morning show with Joe DeCamera for John Ritchie about Gene Segura, who was dealt, immediately released, is getting paid this year and next, by the way, and hasn't been scooped up by any organization. The manager said he loved Gene and he would take Gene at any time, but he thought Gene was going to land somewhere with a chance to play, a.k.a. he wasn't going to play here. Um, do we really need Rodolfo Castro? Why do you think the Phillies haven't offered Gene Segura? Do you think Gene Segura would say, yeah, no, I'm a starting second baseman, and he wouldn't accept the role as the 25th, 26th guy on the roster to make another World Series run for this team? Yeah, I mean, it's a valid point. Um, I love Gene Segura. I love the way he plays the game. I love his bat-to-ball skills, but it just seems like this year they they diminished. In one year's time, they just kind of just fell off. Um, you know, we know what he can do defensively. I just I don't know if there's a spot on the team for him. You know, could he fill in for Rodolfo Castro? Probably. But I just don't know where those skills are right now. They, they have diminished. The numbers speak for themselves and what he did from an offensive standpoint this year down in Miami. So, I mean, if it were up to me, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing him on the ball club because he, he fits in. He knows, he knows the deal. He knows the city. He, knows, he would know his, his um, obligation on his job on the team. And I think he, wouldn't, he would not definitely not be a guy to say, well, I was a starting second baseman last year. Put me back there. That's not the way uh, Gene would be, I don't think. I think he would be a team guy. Um, you know, I, I think it's a, not a bad idea. Maybe kick the tires on it, see what happens. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I don't see it coming to fruition, but you never know. So, Ben, because you're a good guy and because you're a Delco guy, I'm going to ask you a completely unfair question and put you in a terrible spot, but tough luck. Oh, great. So you have to choose one of these teams to win today. You have the Phillies playing the Nationals at 4 o'clock, and the Phillies have lost 4 of 5 and could probably use a win. But you have the Media Pennsylvania Little League team playing at 2 o'clock today Uh against a team from Gray, Maine, representing New England. you got to pick one team to win and one team to lose. Oh, man, that is a terrible question to ask me. (laughs) Wow. I know you would Uh, want both. I know you would want both. Yeah, I obviously want both. Um, I don't know. This has been such a great run the media has been on. Actually, I went to grade school with the, the second baseman's uh, mom, Karen. And we were oh, wow. This morning, and I said, hey, can you do me a favor, Karen? She goes, absolutely. I said, can you tell AJ he's the second baseman on the team? I said, can you tell AJ it's a good day to kick somebody's ass? Ooh, very <laughs> nice. And very goes, nice. And she says, absolutely. Coming from you, he'll love it. And I said, please do. So, 
Um, man, that's a tough one. Yeah, I, I don't need you to answer that question, Ben. I just yeah, know, hold on. Let, let me just double check. Media loses, they're done, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, then yeah, you got to root for media. Phillies can bounce back if they get beat by the Nats <laughs> again today. We're all in on media here. Come on. I'd be too happy with you. I'd rather <laughs> yeah. pick a little league team than a big league ball club that, I, that I'm working for. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, I, obviously I want them both to win. And, um, you know, it would be great if, if media could keep going. And, you know, they only had two hits in the last game. So hopefully they can they can bounce back today and, and you know, get a W. That would be great. All right. Uh, last question. And since Sealski really turned the screws to you, I'm going to go real easy <laughs> on you. It's my uh, job, Jody. Which, which Sealski knows nothing about. He's not going to understand this question when I ask it. Ben Davis, give us a scouting report on definitely the Eagles' third-string quarterback and potentially the Eagles' backup quarterback for this upcoming season and explain to us how you know to give this scouting report. Well, Tanner McKee, obviously out of Stanford, my nephew uh, got his degree from Stanford in December. He was a three-year starter at guard uh, for Tanner McKee. Um, Jay Corningbrook is his name. Three-year starter. and love Tanner. He said, this guy, he has every ability to be an uh, NFL starter. He's got the arm for it. He said his arm is legit as anybody's. Uh, he's a very smart guy. Um, so you're watching the game last week. I was with my brother-in-law, and he was texting with Tanner's dad. And uh, it was just nice to have that opportunity to, you know, he, he was very excited for me. He said, hey, man, listen, this guy's a limit. This guy can get it done. And, um, you know, my nephew is now, because of COVID, he's got another year at Duke, so he's going to play his last year at Duke and get his master's down there. Um, but he had a lot, of, a lot of good things to say about McKee, so I don't know where this is going to go with the backup role because I think uh, someone could definitely step in there. And from what he's telling me, and both my nephew and obviously my brother-in-law are great football-minded people. My brother-in-law played at Temple. Uh, they have a good idea of what they're looking for, so. I'm just throwing it out there. You're, you're, out. You're, so, Ben, your nephew went from Stanford to Duke. He sounds like a real mouth breather. Yeah. <laughs> well, his brother, his brother was a quarterback at Wisconsin. Uh, my other nephew, and as the all-time winning percentage quarterback at Wisconsin, and um, you know, his brother Alex and uh, Jake's Jake's a little bit bigger, so he's on the line. Uh, but we still call him Baby Jake because he was the youngest of three. So Yeah, Baby uh, Jake. Uh, he texted me a picture. Baby Jack putting up about uh, 350 on the weight <laughs> bench of him working out. Yeah, he, he deserves that baby moniker. Like he's I only about 6'6", 320. So he's uh, a <laughs> pipsqueak, <laughs> an absolute pipsqueak. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, no, and hopefully, uh, you know, they can they can figure out what's going on. But I just had to throw that out there. They, You know, my brother-in-law and, and Jake both said really nice things to say about McKee, so. We shall see what happens. I'm just glad you guys didn't ask me about this egregious uh, the, 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 the scoring decision. Scoring decision. Oh, it's, we it's, could we could do a half an hour on that it's crap. It's a joke. It's it's disgraceful. It's embarrassing, and I, I, I'm just I'm losing it. I'm absolutely losing it because this is disgraceful. Now it, hold, on, hold on, hold on. Be, be honest. When the ball bounced off Rojas's glove last night, was your first thought? Yeah, they'll probably score that ahead. I, honestly, I, it was. It was like if he kind of broke any day, had a bad read on it. And I'm thinking, you know what? The way this, this guy uh, gave those other two hits out, mm-hmm. this is the big leagues for crying out loud. This is the big leagues. These plays are everyday, run-of-the-mill plays. The first in- inning to uh, Lane Thomas, the ball to hit the Turner that gave that hit, that's yeah. a joke. Yeah. Trey Turner be the first one to tell you I need to make that play, not 99 out of 100 times, but 100 times out of 100 times. And the same thing with Alec Boma, that little chopper that Rutherford hit. Yep. It's, it, it can't happen. It cannot be like this. I know they, you know, they want it to fit their narrative of the different rules and the averages are high. Look how much offense we have. 
But at some point, you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, that's an error. Yeah, you know what, Ben? It's interesting to hear you as a former major leaguer talk about it in this way. It's condescending to these players. They know when they mess up. They know it. So don't, you know, pee on their legs and tell them it's raining. Yeah, don't pacify me. Please don't pacify me. I'm a big league player. I should make that play. I agree with you 100%. 100%. So. Ben Davis, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for jumping on. Scouting report and all. Uh, have a good trip back up here to Philadelphia since the players have to go to uh, the Williamsport International. Never knew they even had an <laughs> airport. But they do. We did the research. There is there an airport go. there. So uh, you have a safe trip without having to go to Williamsport. Thanks for jumping in with us. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, have Ben. Ben Davis, NBC Sports uh, analyst, in-game and studio. I really put him in a terrible spot by asking that. Uh, oh, it was a great question. question. No, it was a great question. You absolutely had to ask that. Didn't didn't uh, come to mind for me, but it's actually it's an easy answer because it's got to be media because they lose, they're done. Yes, the Phillies exactly lose right. today. The season goes on. Uh, so it, it has to be a media answer. Yeah, but, yeah. You always root for the twelve-year-old kids over the. Uh... The cynical, hardened major leaguers. Oh, no. I would root for the cynical, hardened major leaguers if it was a playoff game and uh, the season's over and done with. I, I, I vote by situation more than age, and the situation says you got to root for media today. I'd ease uh, Mike Zielski. I'm Jody McDonald in for Glenn Mack now. Mack and Mike with you. We've got 40 minutes left. All calls till uh, Go Birds Radio. James and Elliot live from the Parks Sportsbook and uh, Racing Book up in. Ben Salem today. We've got you for another 40. Phones the whole way. Get aboard now. 215-592-9494. Mac and Mike here with you on 94 WIP. Sealski and McDonald going to the top of the hour. Then you get to go Birds Radio live from uh, Parks uh, Sportsbook up in Ben Salem. They'll take you to Phillies baseball. First pitch, 4 o'clock here on 94 WIP today. All right. You and I didn't discuss this in mm-hmm. the first couple hours. I brought it up with Ben. As I mentioned, I brought it up with Rob Thompson when I had the opportunity last week. Don't usually get a chance to talk to the skipper, but because I was on with the camera on the morning show, I did. And I asked him about Gene Segura. And I, from the time Segura got dealt, I immediately started to beat the drum to bring back Gene Gene the hitting machine. And I get it. It, it. it has to be a specialized situation. He has to be accepting of what his role is. Shoot, they played Harrison every once every 10, 12 games at second base, right? Gave Stott games days off, and it would make your partner and mine, Glenn Macnow, nuts. Yes. Because he wanted to see Stott play every day. He wants which... he wants Stott to be like uh, Bugs Bunny against the yeah. Gas House Gorillas. First base, Bryson Stott. Second base, Bryson Stott. Leading off, Bryson Stott. That's what he wants for Bryson Stott. Yeah, he does. And I, I'll even go with the fact that, yeah, they could probably uh, shorten the number of days off, not eliminate. I'm not looking for 162, Bryce, like Glenn is, but, um, yeah, they, they throw Harrison in there every once in a while. Why can't Gene Segura do that? Rodolfo Castro, just let me give you a couple of Rodolfo Castro numbers in case you don't know them off the top of your head. Mike. Uh, yeah, I hadn't committed his statistics to memory, I Jerry. didn't think you did, so I'll <laughs> fill in the blanks for you. Okay. 063 is what he's hitting. His one hit, and yes, because I was motivated to get Gene Segura back on his team, I've been paying close attention, was one of those Major League Baseball scoring in 2023 ah, hits okay. that was not a hit in my book and most other people's books. So he should be 0 for 16 at this point. In those 18 plate appearances, including two walks, he's got seven Ks 
which, believe it or not, is a larger strikeout per at-bat percentage than that of Kyle Schwarber, who everybody and his brother complains, all he does is strike out, all he does is hit home runs and strike out. Well, uh, Rodolfo strikes out more often percentage-wise, 29 to 38, than does Schwarber. So w- w- we need Rodolfo Castro on his team. You can't bring Gene Segura back to give him a little pep in the step in the room. He was one of the most popular players on this team last year. Yeah, his role would be different, and he needs to understand that. And I'm just speculating here that he would. And the manager flat out told me he loves Gene Segura and would take him any time. Why isn't Gene Segura here? All right, Jody. I'm going to give you an explanation, perhaps, for why he isn't. So... He's hitting I, – I, I'm with you on the clubhouse end of things, I, and I think it would be a nice story to have Segura come back, you know, member of the team last year that gets to the World Series, all right? Gene Segura this season is hitting 219 over 300 at-bats with an OPS of 556, which by any standard is terrible. Go back to the end of last season and the playoffs. In the National League Championship Series and the World Series, Gene Segura was a combined – Five for 38 with 11 strikeouts. It is just possible that at this point, he's not any better than Rodolfo Castro. How do you do against the Braves in the NL? He did very well. He he was six for 13. So so you're drawing the line from where Gene started to struggle and leaving off where he helped them actually advance by beating the Braves and getting to the NLCS. He was one for five against the Cardinals, and, and he had a good divisional round series against the Braves, but... He was not a great hitter by any standard. He got one big two-out punch single, and uh, I think it was game three against the Padres. But beyond that, he did not hit well, and he hasn't hit well all this season. I'm not suggesting that he wouldn't be better than Castro. I'm just saying, boy, that's, that's more of a stretch even than I think people understand. All right, and do I need to give you Castro's numbers again? No, you, no, no, no. You, you no, no, did no. quote for me Gene's numbers. I could go more in-depth on Castro's numbers for you. No, 63 kind of jumps off the page. What what was Gene hitting? 211? 219 this season. 219 dwarfs 063. <laughs> Come on. I, I, I hear you. And it's certainly possible that he comes back here and is rejuvenated in whatever role he has. And it wouldn't be much of one because, as you said, you know, Bryson Stott has had a terrific season. You can make an argument. He's, I think he's been their most consistently good player all season. You're not, you're not asking Gene Segura to be the Gene Segura of a year ago. Nope. Um, so I get it, but I'm just trying to account for why they might not want to bring him back. And then they may look at him and say, he's not the hitter he used to be. Well, and if Castro were hitting 400, I'd go, eh, you can't replace a guy who's hitting 400. You can replace a guy who's hitting 063. It's my point. Uh, and if it's the 26th man that we're talking about, and that is what we're talking about, I get it. It gets less shine than other potential decisions they got to make. But you pointed out in the first two hours that the Eagles lost two significant special teams mm-hmm. players to injury, and I could just as easily go, special teams, come on. We're talking special teams. Do you know how many special team snaps there are compared to from the line of scrimmage? Except you remember back to the Super Bowl yep. and the non-covered punt, which led to the Chiefs getting the ball. It's one of those things you don't worry about until it's too late. So I'm just mentioning the fact that if you're in a 10th inning of an opening playoff round and you've used all your pinch hitters and you got one guy left on the bench, 
I take my chances with Gene Segar going up and getting a game-winning hit for me rather than Rodolfo Castro. I know it's a major got to walk down a road to get there, but that's why they pay Dave Dombrowski is to do these type of things. This is true. He's Mike Sielski. I'm Jody McDonald. Let's get some calls in here. Calls to the top of the hour before we turn it over to James and Elliot. Hit us up, 215-592-9494. Lamar's on the cell. He's on 94WIP. Hey, Lamar. Hey, what's going on, Mr. J. Mack, Mr. Sielski? Hey, Hello, Lamar. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I thought I'd be nice before y'all get mad at me. You know? <laughs> we'll Why see. are we going to get mad at you? We'll see. Oh, Jody, Jody know me from some of his other jobs. That's all. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. Um, first off, this Harden thing, man. I, I hope Daryl Morey has a plan because this is and this ain't like Ben. This is a whole other animal. You in know what, what I mean? He, in what regard? How do you well, mean? Harden is serious. Harden already got his money, so he's w- more willing to do the dumb stuff more. He, oh he yeah, got, I see what you mean. Chips in the bank. Yeah, no, I think you're 100 percent right there, Lamar. I think that. Uh, if they, I, I snicker and chuckle a little bit whenever I hear somebody say, "Oh, James Harden, uh, the, the Sixers are the best version of themselves with James Harden. He should come back and play." And it's like, if you know anything about James Harden, he's not going to show up to training camp and practices and games and help the Sixers in any regard. If he's that angry with Aaron Murray, he's going to set fire to the whole place, and it ain't going to be good. See, my whole thing is, you know, how's how's Halliburton doing this summer? You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, well, time time out Philadelphia. Time out Philadelphia, Lamar. (laughs) Did you talk to Daryl Morey? Did you talk to Halliburton? Did you talk to the Pacers general manager? How do you know that that trade was on the table? I know there's been a lot of speculation that it was, but I've got no one, I mean no one, to confirm that, yes, the Sixers turned down a trade for Ben Simmons with Tyrese Halliburton coming in. No one has officially said that. It's all sources to this point. So until somebody goes on the record and says, yeah, Maury turned that down, shame like on I him. Said, I'm not holding him against I, I'm not I holding that no against him. Things are rumored to the deal's done. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I will say this, Lamar, to, to your point, and Jody's right, we don't know whether that was actually on the table, but I do think that Maury, to a certain extent, had tunnel vision with respect to Harden. That's that, fair. Uh, he regarded getting James Harden as the best possible outcome of a Ben Simmons trade, and he was going to wait and wait and wait until that presented itself. And by that standard, what he did was smart. The, the question is, were there other possible deals that maybe he didn't look as hard at? Were there other possibilities he didn't explore? And was the Harden situation in Philadelphia really ever going to work out? I think those are legitimate questions to ask. And this is what I'm saying. I don't know because I went in hard at the Ravens. I'm not saying I was the one, but they were getting so much pressure. They told us the, the offer they made to Lamar Jackson because they was looking really bad for a minute. And that's my whole point. I don't know what deal is out there. So that's why I said I hope he got a plan because it ain't looking too hot right now. Yeah, I, I do question his plan as well. Lamar, thanks for checking in. So I'll put it to you, Mike Sielski. Mm-hmm. I sent out text. I know you uh, also talked to them, uh, as you know I do, uh, to both my guys, Derek Bodner and uh, Kyle Newbeck. Mm-hmm. And Newbeck responded from Australia. Yeah, well, he he's was, committed, or he, ought to be. He was on vacation <laughs> and still got back to me like two days later. But he said, I'm sorry for not getting back, well, that, but I'm in the, That's how long I'm, it takes the text to get to the other side of the world. Jim. I'm in the outback, so I can't. Uh, so God bless him. He's on vacay. Uh, but Bodner got back to me, and I asked them both the same question. Why didn't Moray even go where he went? 
What was the potential upside of leaking the story? And again, I don't know that it was a Sixer leak. I'm only about 99% sure. Because why would Harden leak something like that? Why would anybody else other than the Sixers leak something like, well, guess what? The Clipper trade's not happening. We've tried. We're not even close. There's no sense in continuing to put it out there. So we're expecting James to show up. Why, why would anybody other than the Sixers go there? There had to be a method to his madness or a potential outcome he was looking for. He certainly misjudged uh, it because yeah. Harden did what was most expected. Uh, F you. Um, why do you think he did that? I don't know. Perhaps it was a, I mean, look, you know the transactional nature of these sorts of revelations, right, Jody, that uh, maybe Adrian Wojnarowski at ESPN gets wind of it and goes to Maury and says, if if I can't go with this, I'll, I'll you know, trade it off for another piece of information down the road. I mean, it's all, as we, you and I have talked about before, uh, the people who break these kinds of stories, whether it's Woj or Shams, they're information brokers. Mm-hmm. So it's possible, I suppose, that Woj or Shams said to Maury, look, you got to give us this now and we'll do something for you later. That's the way these things work. So um, I do think they were surprised, not that Harden was upset, but that Harden would say what he said, that he would call Daryl Morey a liar. Uh, and I wonder... My colleague Dave Murphy made this point in a column the other day that when you've been that close to someone in the way that Maury and Harden were that close because each made the other's career in the NBA, you know, Maury traded for Harden and allowed him to become a superstar in Houston. And by becoming a superstar in Houston, James Harden made Daryl Maury look all the smarter. When that kind of relationship fractures, it's often really ugly because they were so close, right? It's, it's, the, fr- it's the, the dearest friendship. When you lose that friendship, it is terrible and it is horrible and you don't ever want to talk to that person ever again. And I wonder if some of that is at play too. All right. I get that after the fact. I'm asking about prior to. What would make Maury go? I, I guess you could be right about him being thrown up against the wall by one of the information brokers. But at that my choice is, no, I can't say that because it, 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 all the facts laid out ahead of time. What do you think Harden's reaction is going to be? He's going to go, oh, well, at least Daryl tried. No, no. he's going to go nitro. Yeah. It's going to blow up. It's going to be ugly. And if you are leaning in that direction, you have to tell Adrian Wojnarowski, listen, you got to go with what you got to go with, but I'm not telling you that, and you can't uh, begin to print it as if it's coming from that. You do what you got to do, Adrian, but I'm not confirming that. No, that's not the case. And if you do conf- uh, do report that, I will deny it. I'll take the other stand that says, no, we're continuing to try and do the best we can to uh, either move James to his desired location or somewhere else. It's still very much a fluid situation. That's how I would have handled it if I were Maury, if I was throwing it up against the wall. No, I think that he actually had a plan in place. I just can't, for the life of me, figure it out. Well, here's the thing, too, Jody. I think Daryl Morey cares a lot less what fans and media analysts and scuttlebutt around the NBA is than James Harden does. I think it really matters to James Harden, his legacy, that he's getting his money, what people think of him, he's never happy, those sorts of things. I think Daryl Morey is not wired quite that way. So maybe he figured we're going to get criticized one way or another. Um, might as well have it out there. I don't know. I, I, you're asking me to 
to speculate on what he thought and right. assuming he leaked it. I, I don't know. Which is completely you know. unfair, but you did that to Ben this uh, is true. Davis, yeah. so I figured I could do it to you. Yeah, that's fair. He's Mike Sielski. I'm Jody McDonald. We are Mike and Mac here with you on 94 WIP. Final segment coming up. We'll get in as many calls as we can. If you get on the line, 215-592-9494. The Bet Park Sportsbook app, the only sportsbook app I recommend and play with on almost daily, daily basis. They cater to the real Philadelphia sports fan with the best class customer service. Odds, bets, slots. Now, I'm not a slots guy. I'm not a games guy. But if you like playing that, uh, the the options they have on the Parts Park uh, Sportsbook app is off the charts. Right now, maybe get some NFL future bets in. Who's going to win divisions? Who's going to win conferences? Who's going to win that big game at the end of the year? If you like the Eagles, 6-1 to one as of right now. Uh, and they've got all the player props also available for the upcoming NFL season. If you've never played with Parks before, first time joining, Make your first bet a $10 one. Make it a winning one and get $125 in a bonus sportbook bet back. Must be a winning bet and bonus bets must be wagered once. Golf, baseball, night in, night out, you name it. They've got all the summertime wagering action you could want. If you want more action with your action, then sign up now for the Bet Park Sportsbook app. Mac and Mike here with you on 94 WIP. Mac being Jordan McDonald in for Glenn Mac now today. Oh, well, by the way, he'll be back tomorrow. Glenn and I do the show tomorrow. I'm with Mike Sealski. We got time to get a caller to in, find out what we missed today before we wrap it up and turn it over to the Go Birds radio crew, James and Elliot live up at the uh, Parks uh, book today. Let me talk to David from Drexel Hill. Dave, you're up on 94 WIP. Hey, Jerry, how y'all doing? Hey, listen, one thing I think people are forgetting about this uh, Harden thing is Harden went to see Dr. Ono. And you know who Dr. Ono is? The same one that's going to help him get his money back when he declared mental health issues. Because <laughs> he's going to do you it. You really think he's going to go there? Hey, Jody, for money and when you already got money and you can afford to sit back like that, if he starts seeing the doctor and the doctor say, yeah, you're suffering, he got it made. He's going to put all the pressure on, and it's not just him. There's going to be a whole lot of athletes that do it from now on. But Ben Simmons proved that you can do it, and you're going to get away with it. And is he's he going to, is he going to tie his entire mental uh, unrest uh, claim to the fact that Daryl Morey lied to him? Is that exactly, going to be evidence number one? Say, Jody, oh, I gave up money the previous year because I thought we was going to do this deal. That's why I stuck around, and I gave that waiver, and I did this and that. And the man, oh, look, I feel like I'm going to run my head into a wall. Oh, don't hurt yourself, Harden. Just just relax. And, you know, yeah, watch, Jody, because I predicted Ben Simmons on the radio before it ever happened. Okay. When they first said he was going to go to mental health because I knew the power of it because I suffer from PTSD. I'm a veteran. So I already know he's going to push it to the limit, Jody. Watch. And I'm going to call you back and remind you. David, if it does, I'm going to give you credit. You're the first one to say it live on the air with me. I can guarantee you that. I would think the only claim that James could make for mental uh, instability is the pounding of the speakers at the strip clubs that he attends, that that might affect his ability to cognitively think. Uh, you buying any of this, Sielski? You would. He would have to really have um, guts, I think would be the word, <laughs> to, uh, to try to pull that off. I don't think anybody buys that. Um, I would be surprised if what David said turns out to be true, and I, I would be even more surprised if people bought it. Right, and it's a year and change now since Ben Simmons went down that road, 
and there were a whole bunch of players that were given their release and cut in other sports. And to my remembrance, there hasn't been one that said, well, wait a minute, you can't cut me because I'm mentally unstable. My yeah. uh, line of thinking is not – no one has followed Ben Simmons' road. Now, high profile, certainly hardens as good a comparison as you're going to come up with seeing as they were traded for each other. But no other player in any other sport has attempted to go down that road I'm I'm thinking it's not happening with James Harden. I would be surprised. Um, we do have breaking news, Jody. Uh, the Phillies have just announced that Ranger Suarez is going on the 15-day disabled list Ooh. with a right hamstring strain. This is retroactive to August 16th, and to fill his spot on the 26-man roster, uh, the Phillies are calling up Andrew Bellotti from AAA Lehigh Valley. Well, the guy I've been arguing most for of late has been Gene Simmons. Uh, Gene, Gene Segura. Gene, 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 the hit machine. Uh, Segura, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, Although two Gene be, Simmons in this lineup and on this roster would be interesting. Number two would be Andrew Bellotti because uh, he he pitched so well for them last year, and he was okay this year. He wasn't great, and I thought he kind of drew a short straw when they sent him out. He came back up. Pitched well again. Again, drew a short straw when they got involved in a roster crunch. Um, I, I think he deserves to be on this team, so I'm glad to see it. Uh, I don't know if he can put him, pitch himself onto the postseason roster because he pitched well the last time they right. called him back up, and he still got sent back down. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad for the guy because he does uh, throw strikes and he does get strikeouts. So uh, that. Uh, just another reliever, and oh, by the way, it kind of takes the conversation. I was just going to say that two Jody. different people today. What are they going to do with the six-man rotation? So much oh, for that. Put put Ranger on the IL. That's how you solve that well, problem. They're going to need him to come back healthy. Ranger Suarez, when he's right, is really good and really valuable for them. So it, it's not great that he's on the disabled list. Uh, let me ask you a question, and uh, I, I understand the downside to my answer the way I would look at it, but I need yours. Six guys right now, Ranger back, healthy. We're sitting on September 25th. The Phillies have locked up a uh, spot in the playoffs as a wild card, maybe the number one overall wild card. Mm -hmm. And the guys have pitched the way they pitched. No one significantly better, no one significantly worse. Who are your four guys? Wheeler, Walker, Ranger, Nola. Right? Got to be right. this for well, You're taking the, the Mr. No-Hitter out of the mix. Yeah, I'm going to put him in the bullpen. I'm going to use him at two innings at a time when I need him uh, because he's got that background. He's got that history. Uh, I don't need to start him. I can use him as kind of a Swiss Army knife, and that's why they got him. I'm going to leave him in the rotation. Now, again, this is all assuming it stays as is, which includes two outstanding outings and one bad outing last night, so it is what it is. Here's why I'm going to put Ranger in the pen. We know he can do it. He did it last year. Mm. He's already proven that he can do it in postseason play, making the move to the pen. And you and I both have Sanchez as an odd man out. Um, it does really bolster your left-handed uh, part of the rotation, but now you are dominant right-handed in the starting exactly. rotation yeah. against the team. I'd like to have a lefty in there, but – I think Sanchez's process of elimination is going to be the sixth man, so then it comes down to fifth. And I would prefer Ranger just because been there, done that from last year in the pen. Yeah, no, I would keep Ranger in the rotation. Okay, fair enough. 
Uh, Mike Zielski, always a pleasure. Before we go, we got to find out what we did wrong. Nick Earnshaw, what did we miss? All right. So we have a little bit of Eagles news that's come out today. And Eagles, they have cut Greedy Williams and have used the waived injured designation for wide receiver Tyree, Cle- uh, Tyree Cleveland and Zach McPherson. So, guys, I'm wondering, Eli Ricks has had a lot of talk about him in, in, in training camp. Is he going to make the roster? No, wait, 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 wait. I, I just got to double check with the way you stated that. You threw Zach McPherson in there, and I don't think you differentiated between waived. You said Tyree on the waived Cleveland and injured waived. list. Yes. So uh, Zach McPherson's on the injured list. He's not waived. Yes. Yeah, because Zach's sticking around, but he's done for the entire year. Um, yeah, I saw it on the crawl on ESPN that he got released, and uh, Nick said oh, that's what I was going to use for uh, <laughs> what we missed. I said, all right, we won't say anything ahead of time. Cleveland was actually pretty good, Mike. You surprised that Cleveland is good? No, that Cleveland's released. Oh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, he was okay, but, uh, you know, uh, these kind of things, these kind of decisions get made all the time on NFL rosters. You see guys who look fairly impressive and uh, they're let go. And, you know, you don't know what's kind of going into these decisions when when Howie Roseman makes them or Nick, you know, consults with Nick Sirianni about them. So uh, I don't think it's going to make or break them this season. All right. Here's how I figure it, uh, line of thinking, and this is Howie, not me, but the way I'm trying to read Howie's mind. They probably weren't going to bring either Greedy Williams or Cleveland back for the practice squad. So they said, just let's give them, as veteran guys who've been on other teams, let's give them a head start for mm-hmm. finding another job. Yeah. That will release them early that's the decision you have to make. Do we want to keep them on the practice squad? Now they get claimed. There's nothing you can do about it. But if they don't get claimed, then you have to try and negotiate with them to come back to the practice squad. They probably thought both of those guys weren't going to be in the mix for that. It doesn't surprise me about Williams at all. It does surprise me about Cleveland though, a little bit. What else you got, Nick? All right. So the MLB, I was reading an uh, article in Fox Sports. The MLB has said that national and local TV viewership for teens ages 12 to 17 is up 11% this year. And also noted that 86% of people ages 18 to 24 said they're more likely to watch MLB games due to the rule changes. Now, we know the scoring's been terrible this year with the errors and all. But do you guys think this is sustainable to get the younger audience to watch baseball? I do. Look. I loved baseball when I was a kid. I've, I've, I've made this, offered this lament on this show time after time after time. The sport was better and more fun to watch when I was a kid, not because I'm an old head who wants to be sitting on the patio reminiscing about the good old days. The sport moved faster. There were more different styles of play. There was more diversity in the sport. And anything that the sport can do to get back to that was a good thing. And if you can get a generation of people under the age of 18, interested in baseball, you hope that they will stay interested in baseball over time. Step in the right direction. That's all you got to worry That's about. That's right. And they, they already got it. Can they sustain it? Time will tell. But I didn't even know it was going to be as good as it has been here in year number one. So baseball is ahead of the, uh, the game. One more my- thing we missed, Jody. One more thing I got to shout that? out. It's my mother's birthday today. Happy birthday to Ann Sealski. I know she's listening. She would have never let me forget if I had forgotten <laughs> that it was her birthday. I'm only kidding, Mom. Uh, so happy birthday. She's going to text you and go, you were not fair to your friend Marcus Hayes when you put him on the spot. Like <laughs> or or Ben Davis, no. Well, it's Ben. No, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, you're unfair to Ben. That's right. Uh, Mike, always a pleasure. I appreciate too, it whenever you and I get a chance to do the show. I'll probably be uh, texting you, texting you to get you on uh, Birds 365 Sounds good. before the season starts. Thanks, bud. All right, man.
right. Uh, good job by Nick Earnshaw producing today's affair. Coming up next, you got Go Birds Radio, James and Elliot live from the Parks uh, Sportsbook up in Ben Salem and then Phil's Baseball here this afternoon. Glenn and I will be back with you tomorrow at 10 right here on 94 WIP. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.